At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Warmer for the low. Welcome to Bumpy Las Vegas. For Coach Cutsy, with myself, Greg Eats Peters, and now part of the Houston family of podcasts. We've got a great podcast for you as we're going to be joined in segment number two by Justin Perry, who does amazing work over at Shock Quality Bets. We're going to be discussing what he's going to be taking a look at in terms of these conference tournaments, a little bit of strategy, what he's been noticing with this very, very obscene overrate that we have been getting in college basketball as well. We've got a lot to dive into with our good friend Justin, and he always delivers the goods on this podcast. So looking forward to that chat in segment number two. In the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at gn underscore d1. Keep in mind, letters EM. They mean does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast by that five-star review. Really did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we had a very fun day of college basketball on Tuesday. So let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these seems a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Duke gets the win, but NC State gets the cover. 71-67 to the final. It's been a little bit of an up-and-down year if you've been betting on NC State, but certainly has been a rock-solid year for them. Reason why NC State was unable to get this one done. Both teams were super-duper ice-cold from three-point range. For NC State, they went 8 of 28 from three-point range. Duke went 2 of 19, and to the credit of NC State, they won the turnover battle by a kind of 10 to 6, but for NC State, that's a lot of rebound battle. 44 to 35. How about Kyle Filipowski, Mont, Derek Lively? Combined for 26 rebounds for Duke. Duke was also able to get 20 points out of Jeremy Roach, who did a nice job turning it over just twice. And Jarek L. Joyner, he had 26 points, 8 rebounds in this game for NC State, but past that, they weren't able to get a lot of production. So NC State, they go into Cameron Indoor. They hold strong, but unable to get that one in in the end. In terms of conference tournament play, Lipscomb was able to take it to Stetson, 83-70. to So Lipscomb, they keep their hopes alive. They go 10-23 of 23 from three-point range. So Stetson, we are not going to be seeing them in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, figured that we were not going to be seeing Bellarmine in the NCAA tournament since they're ineligible. And for Liberty, they have been a good team all season long. They just completely clobbered them by a count of 76-56. to 56. In this one, Bellarmine only able to go 5 of 18 from three-point range. Lost the rebound battle 31 to 22. Had some outrageous shots made by Darius McGee. He had 29 points. Guy that you really want to be watching out for. Also in that A-Sun tournament, Kennesaw State, go Owls. They barely, I mean barely, get by Queens in this one. This by kind of 66 to 67 game got thrown down a little bit, but 
Queens was able to hold in there in a back-to-back spot. And then Eastern Kentucky, they took it to North Alabama, 73-48. So Eastern Kentucky's hopes of an NCAA tournament still alive in the Horizon League. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise, UW-Green Bay. They take the loss 77-57. But if you took the closing number, I was seeing this in the neighbor of right around... 19 points you were able to get there on right state. If you took more like a 21, you got there on UW-Green Bay. So depending upon your line, you were either able to get a cover one way or the other. And for UW-Green Bay, well, they close out the year being one of the least profitable teams in all of college basketball, 9-23 and against the spread. So good riddance to them. The uh, quest for Antoine Davis to be able to get the all-time scoring record in the NCAA continues. 38 points for him. Detroit takes down IPFW 81 to 68. He needs, I believe, 26 points in order to break the record. Now, Antoine Davis, a massive 38 point performance. I did think that this was a good motivational spot for Detroit. They're able to get that done, so give them credit. IUPUI very nearly knocked off Robert Morris, by the way. This was a game where it looked like Robert Morris was going to run and hide with it, but IUPUI, a Ponce charge at the end, 67 to 64. You were still able to get the under if you dug that, but Robert Morris, a big giant scare with Jalen Counter, being able to give IUPUI 25 points. And for IUPUI, they actually covered north of two-thirds of their games against the Rising League competition. They finished up the year 19-11 against the spread, so give them a little bit of credit out in the Patriot League. American, they get a win. They do not get a cover against Bucknell by kind of 64-59 to as American was in control throughout, but they have been having a little bit of a rough go of it. I believe that they have covered just one out of their last seven games. Virginia, they get a win, and they do barely get a cover on the closing line of 6.5. 64 to 57 the final. This looked like it was going to be much more comfortable for Virginia. They were up double figures throughout, but for Virginia, they're able to get this one through despite going just 5 of 19 from three points. Virginia defense has been relatively solid recently. They've given up fewer than 68 points and now six out of their last seven games. Jaden Gardner, 12 points, nine rebounds in this one. And for Clemson, they have been falling off the map quite a bit. They go 7 to 22 from three point range. BJ Hall, Hunter Tyson, they did their part, 36 points. Rest of the team, not so much. Marquette has been one of your best cover teams in all of college basketball. They go on the road. They get it done by a count of 72-56 to 56 against a Butler team that had not allowed north of 70 points in five straight games. They also have not scored north of 70 points since their game against Villanova in mid-January. So they've been a very intriguing, low-scoring team. Marquette against the spread. They advanced to 19-10-1 as Tyler Kolick had 21 points, 10 assists, the two turnovers. For Butler, they lose a battle on the glass 31-24, while Marquette was able to go 7-20 from three-point range. So another good showing for Marquette. Unfortunately, the DK Nation pick in Iowa versus Indiana goes down 90-68. For those that watch this, there were like three technical fouls that happened in the final four minutes. This was a game that was actually very much trending under the total. We had about 15 points to play with in the final three minutes. Actually, the final 319, and then that's when the technical fouls happened. And for Iowa, a team that this season has shot 26.3% from three-point range in a road slash court environment. They went 13 of 23 from three, shot 55.5% from the floor. Trace Jackson Davis, 26 points, 13 rebounds. Absolutely nobody else 
showed up for Indiana in this one while you had a 5 of 8 three-point shooting performance out of Chris Murray, 26.7 rebounds. Iowa just absolutely handed it to Indiana on this one. So we're going to look for better luck with the DK Nation pick here on this Wednesday. I'll saw it there in the ACC Georgia Tech. They took it to Syracuse by kind of 96 to 76. The Syracuse team that has been playing no defense at all. And Georgia Tech went 18 of 40 from three-point range. Lance Terry goes 7 of 10 from 3. Miles Kelly goes 7 of 14 from 3. Bar range. It combined for 54 points. So that was rather ridiculous. Boston College, they go on the road and they take it to Wake Forest. 74 to 69. Wake Forest has been playing about two-thirds of their games to the over. This is one that falls under the total of 145.5 as Wake Forest does go 11 of 28 from 3. But Boston College went 7 of 13 from 3. Boston College won the rebound battle 28 to 27 as Jaden Zachary, Makai, Ash, and Langford. They combined for 31 points in this one as well. Florida, they finally get a win without Colin Castleton, 77 to 67. They take down a Georgia team that was very profitable for you towards the beginning part of the season. That is starting to wane a little bit more. Georgia goes just 4 of 22 from three-point range. And for Florida, we were wondering who the man was going to be to step up for this team down low. He got 12 rebounds in this game out of Marion Jones. I certainly don't think that he's necessarily going to be the answer. But for Florida, they were able to mix and match, get the job done here. Toledo, your top team in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. They put up 99 on Central Michigan. 99 to 65 the final. This Toledo team has been a rocket ship with regards to their offense, and they've been a rocket ship in terms of totals. 20 overs to 9 unders for them. Central Michigan has been rather sad recently, but I mean, that was a lot of fun to be able to take a look at. Kent State has been one of your better cover teams this season as well. No cover for them, though, against Ohio as an 8 point favorite. 82 to 75. Ohio is able to hold in there. Kent State gets the job done, but no cover as they shot 54% from the floor. Kent State did 8 of 21 from three-point range with Sincere Carey chipping in there 23 points. And then you did see Buffalo take down Northern Illinois 85 to 75. Northern Illinois has actually been a rather surprising cover team for you this season. Also out there in the Sun Belt Tournament, Coastal Carolina, their demise has ended 86 to 69. They give up 86 points to an Arkansas State team that has been terrible with their offense all season long. Had a few games going down as I do this podcast as the Greg Peterson experience that is now from midnight to 3 Eastern time on VSIN. So I do have to do this a little bit in advance. At halftime, Kansas, they're up on Texas Tech 30 to 21. Texas Tech won a 1 of 11 from 3 point range in the first half. Kansas went 4 of 17. So looks like we're going to be probably getting an under there unless if something harebrained happens. Seen all holding right in there with Villanova 44 to 44 with about 10 minutes left in that one. Texas A&M up at the half on Ole Miss 34 to 28. And Texas A&M has been one of your better cover teams in all of college basketball. They've really been able to emerge towards the back half of the season. They entered into the night 19 and 10 against the spread. So we shall see if they're able to persevere. Arkansas was held to 25 points in the first half against Tennessee. They went four of 10 from three. Arkansas did, but Arkansas also had 10 turnovers in the first half as well as Tennessee was leading by kind of 34 to 25. And Boise State and San Diego State in what should be a really good slobber knocker and one that I hope to see in the Mountain West tournament. Boise State currently trailing 30 to 27 at the half. So we are seeing some unders come through. For this College Basketball Tuesday, of course, I write one up for the DKNH pick and gets a nice big old kick in the jewels, but we've been noticing a high overrate in college basketball, and that's something that we are going to be talking about with Justin Perry in the second segment, but overall the season, we have seen overs hit at a 52.1% 
rate 2,640 overs, 2,430 unders. Home underdogs overall this season, 780, 719, and 32 against the spread. And if you're taking a look at the last 30 days in college basketball, the over rate, it is 54.8%, 764 overs, 631 unders in this time span. Home underdogs have went 242, 233, and 11 against the spread. If you want to just go a little bit more finite, last seven days in college basketball, 55.2% over rate, 190 overs to 154 unders with home underdogs really just getting slaughtered, 56, 65, and 4 against the spread over the last seven days with favorites in this time span going 52.4%. So we have been seeing some very interesting things in college basketball and a man that does a great job will be able to break them all down be able to put some numerical values to what we actually see out there on the court. That is Justin Perry. He joins me next here on Coast to Coast Hoops to be able to break all that down, take a look at Wednesday, and take a look at some conference tournaments as well. That is right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now a part of Neeson Family Podcast. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. 
Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. And we're back here in Las Vegas for Guess Guess Eats with myself, Greg Eves Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And it's always great to be joined by this guest as we've got Justin Perry aboard. He does amazing work over at Chalk Quality Bets, taking a look at the game that we know and love of college basketball. I know that he's been doing an amazing job all year long of taking a look at all the action, trying to sift through all the minutia and be able to find us some winners and has been able to do a great job of it. He's hyped up much like myself for these smaller conference tournaments and at the same time is gauging some of the top teams in college basketball and to be able to follow just on Twitter. That is at Justin Perry 8 Last name is spelled P-E-R-R-I, and then that is the number eight, not eight spelled out. And Justin, always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me back. Always a pleasure to join the show, talk a little basketball. It is the best time of the year. First day of March, literally. Honored to be on the first March episode. So excited to dive into a few of the conference tournaments. There's a lot going on early, a lot to uh, watch, of course, the potential road to the big dance for some of these teams is already underway, uh, as we saw that in last night and, of course, on Monday as well. So it's it's just a good time. I'm having a blast. It's it's uh, the best time of the year to be a college basketball fan. It certainly is an amazing time of year, my friend, and it has been amazing what we've been seeing this season. And what do you make out of all of these conference tournaments? And are there a few in particular that you're really going to be zoned in on? Because I do feel like with a lot of conferences, there has been sort of their own flow with it. Like the West Coast Conference Tournament is going to be getting started. And there's been no defense whatsoever played by anyone not named St. Mary's on the West Coast Conference. Meanwhile, in the Big Ten, obviously that conference tournament starts next week. The home and road splits have been very big. Are there a few conference tournaments that you're zoning in on? And you think that there's going to be some good betting opportunities just because of the way that the conference has been playing out? Yeah, you know, I think that there's been some very interesting scenarios brewing in terms of those home and road splits that you have to watch in conferences. And we're seeing it in the horizon. I think maybe that was one of the worst in the nation in terms of, you know, home teams actually getting the win. But I'm, I'm probably looking at, you know, the teams that I've been watching the most all year. I mean, it's been a big season for me enjoying some uh, Metro Atlantic. So I'll definitely be keyed in to that one. I know that we have the OVC, the Big South. I like the Big South amount. I think the NEC should have a lot of good opportunities, actually. Who's going to be watching it? You know, and I think we all know at this time of the year, people are, are kind of tuned into what's going on at the end of the Power Five rankings. Who's going to be seated where? I don't know how many people are really excited to watch St. Francis, New York at Fairleigh Dickinson tomorrow. But, I mean, those are teams that we've seen a fair amount because of some of those Thursday standalones. I think there's decent value there because the volume just won't be there and you should be able to get a decent edge on a few things through the course of that tournament for sure. Absolutely. I do think that some of these conference tournaments are going to be very intriguing. We saw night number one of the Rising League on Tuesday. So that is going to be one that I'm certainly going to be locked in on. And, in the Ryzen League, you've got a variance of styles in that conference. You had teams like IEPUI playing at their own pace, which you never know what you're going to be getting there. Right State is super-duper fast. 
and then a team like Cleveland State is super duper slow. What do you make out of some of these conferences in which you do have teams with varying tempos? Because typically I do find that it's easier to slow a team down than it is to speed one up. And this time of year, I do look a lot more to unders, and I do think that it lends itself to having a bit more value on those low-tempo teams. Yeah, no, I like it. And, and definitely with the way the market's been going, right? We're, we're seeing like 50-something percent for overs in the last 50 days. 55% so it, over the last like 40 days. It's disgusting. I mean, it's great if you're betting overs. But, you know, picking your spots on unders right now probably has the most value if you can do it. And it's not easy. There's also been a high percent of overtime that's led to that. I think we could see that a lot this postseason as well. So I think you got to be careful. Don't be too afraid to, you know, take a little insurance on a game to go to overtime. I've done it. It's not exactly the best, but at the other end, like if you can get the right odds for something that you're taking it under, especially on like a game with a decent sized line. Like I wouldn't go do it on a one and a half point line. You could find the right teams that actually do slow things down. We know that some of the fast teams in March, I can't believe it's March, but in March do actually struggle. We've seen some of the faster teams fail to make it very far. And it is because you can sort of plan how to slow a team down while it can be very hard to get slower teams to come to the faster tempo. And then you often find yourself not playing the style you want. And that can be difficult when you're used to playing something all year. I mean, one of the conferences that definitely has that type of issue, I think is the mountain West, uh, which actually has some, some fun matchups, but like, you know, you see what New Mexico does, right. Versus how they're going to match up against the team, I don't think Air Force is going to be getting too far. But, you know, there are still some slow teams. San Jose has had a good season there. Uh, They're very slow as well. Fresno even. So there are some slower teams there that are happy to play a little bit differently than what some of the top teams in that conference are going to be trying to do. Uh, UNLV kind of moves quickly. Boise State moves quickly. I definitely don't you know, mind taking an under on games where you have a matchup between teams where there is a difference in that average possession. Uh, I guess possession rate is the better thing. But like, you know, the number of possessions is what really dictates how these totals go. It's not necessarily about shot making at the end of the day. And that's it's kind of right up shot quality's alley, right? Trying to play on the expected rate of gameplay rather than if someone's making or missing their shots, there's probably going to be, you know, 60, 70 shots taken. Um, Likelihood is that it's going to be between, you know, 35 and 45 percent field goal for teams combined and then you just want to play on how many if you can get maybe less shots than what vegas expects and that's a good way to play i think especially if you get into how the defenses line up and what they're going to allow each other to do if you can find a spot where you know let's say uh i don't know that san jose is really good at limiting i guess probably pretty good at limiting threes well does that mean that they're going up a team that has high frequency three-point attempts it's going to be a little tough for them to get to their expected point values a good way to like schematically approach the game I do think so as well. I think that that's always so interesting to take a look at just gauging the tempo of so many of these teams that's joining me on the podcast. We do have Justin Perry. And Justin, when it comes to some of the top teams in all of college basketball, it certainly has been a revolving door. 
has there been a few teams that shot quality has been taking a look at and they feel like going into March are a little bit underrated slash overrated because we have been seeing just so many of these teams having a complete and utter lack of consistency. And it's been very maddening to say the least, but I do feel like some of these teams that once again, play a little bit more defense like Purdue, like Houston, they feel like more of the teams that you're able to bank on a little bit more rather than some of these teams that they do rely a lot more on their offense like a Xavier. I think that there are definitely some pretty heavy one-sided teams. If, if you look at like, you know, the first one that came to my mind was like Iowa State, right? They're they're the top-rated defense on shot quality and the 89th best offense. So they're going to, you know, and we've seen that the offense has really been struggling for them, uh, especially lately. But, you know, they're going to need to rely on the ability to limit opponents more. Uh, UCLA is also a pretty heavily defensive team, but they're number two on shot quality, number two in defense, and their number 14 offense carries them to that top two rating. Um, some some offensively skewed teams right now that maybe you you maybe wouldn't totally expect. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to look for like tournament contenders a little bit more here, but like Auburn. I mean, I guess that makes a, a good amount of sense. Is one, but like even more drastic is New Mexico. Those have like skews for like top 35 offenses, but outside the top 100 in defense, Utah State, UAB, all profile is very heavy offensive skews in terms of what they're able to do on the court versus how they limit opponents. Um, but again, it's it's definitely you can choose your style, right? What you think is really going to uh, transfer in terms of like regular season play to postseason, because I don't know, you look at a case like Purdue who has maybe one of the most dominant players we've seen in, in recent memory. I mean, the ratings are, are wild on Zach Eady, but you watch what Indiana is able to scheme against them to get two wins, both of which the shock quality actually disagreed with I tweeted about it yesterday. Um, you know, we've expected Purdue to win both of those games based on the shots taken. But the thing is, is that those, Shots taken might not work in every single scenario, but in the ones in that game, it clearly did, right? They were able to scheme for one of the best players in the country. They understood how, you know, the coverage was going to drop properly and, you know, beat them. So <laughs> tale as old as time, you have like one dominant player, especially a big, and, and they get taken out of a game. Like the defense focuses and learns how to do it. What are you going to do? So like teams with depth, teams with experience, teams with guard play that's what i kind of look for and it definitely translates to efficiency on both sides of the floor because you limit your opponent's shots and you create good ones so i don't know shot quality is pretty good for finding that type of stuff my favorite i mean i I just i can't stop looking at baylor i don't know how you feel about them but they seem to just fit the bill for me uh connecticut's got great guard play kansas of course but it's gonna be i wouldn't be shocked to see a little bit of chalk at the top of the bracket at the end of the month. Baylor is a team that I think is very much ascending as well. I do agree with you. And how much you make out of some of these teams that have guys that are returning to the fold? Because with Baylor, I think that getting back Jonathan Chama Chachua is absolutely massive for them. They needed a little bit more rebounding, in my opinion. They're able to get that. He's actually been shooting really well from three-point range as well. Texas Tech, they're up against it to try to get into the NCAA tournament, but some like a Fardos Amick, I think, is a difference maker. And then the obvious one for a lot of people is Arkansas being able to get back Nick Smith, a five-star guy. How much do you make out of those guys? Because I do think that, to your point on Baylor, that addition of Jonathan Chamachachua, it is massive for them. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, this is exactly the time where you want your team to kind of peak and get things together. Um, you know, some of the the best players, yeah, like with Arkansas, I think getting that extra bit back might honestly unlock this team a little bit because they have kind of struggled in terms of their defense. They've actually been one of the luckier teams on shot quality. Their defensive, like, points per possession expectancy, the differential is about 7 to eight percent almost uh so that's a lot on a per possession expecting 0.07 points per possession more for the arkansas defense in terms of what they allow uh but look this this arkansas razorbacks team getting extra options in terms of their shot selection like it's only going to help and i think the extra bodies for teams at this point of the year is also an understated part of it like you know, you yeah, you have to do a little bit of rotation tinkering, which can lead to maybe not exactly what you're used to, but getting people back who maybe haven't been playing all the same number of games, having 25 games under their belt uh, is a big deal. I mean, it's a crazy run teams have to go on. It's not just like basketball skill. It's, it's literally conditioning. They're playing these games back to back to back, especially if you want to be a Cinderella Real Cinderella's are playing this week, so they have to go, like, nonstop. Of course, they get breaks between rounds, but this is a gauntlet, and I think there's a lot to be said for getting healthy at the right time, so I definitely give that a pretty solid boost, especially if they get a few games in in the conference tournaments to sort of get their whole offense clicking again. Yep, and I think that that is very important because this time of year, you just have such fewer opportunities to be able to practice with your teammates, you're playing game to game to game. So being able to make that deep run in a conference tournament, being able to get more reps with your guys, I think that that is absolutely massive. And a man that has been getting a lot of reps this college basketball season, taking a look at a little bit of everything is you, Justin. You guys over there at Chalkball, you bet, do a great job of being able to gauge it all. You guys do absolutely amazing work. Taking a look at the great game of college basketball. And before I get you out of here, is there any games for Wednesday that you're taking a look at that you're finding a little bit of an edge on? I was looking at that a little bit already, getting ahead of myself. And I'm definitely going to be taking uh, the under for the uh, Sacred Heart Wagner game. I feel like that's like easy pickums. Uh, that thing's coming in at 130 right now. It looks like it's going to be at. I'm not really sure that is going to get there. Wagner has been a little bit on the slower side. I think this. I think a lot of these games in the NEC tournament are going to get pretty contested at the back half. So if you really want to play maybe on the smarter side, take it live. I might honestly do that myself. Like. 10, 15 minutes into the contest because they might come out hot, but these games are going to be single elimination and things tend to slow down. So if you like unders, don't be afraid to like wait a little bit and take them in the middle of a game. Once things get started, I would imagine that the average like live totals come down in the second half during conferences. I know we've seen a lot of overs, but points start to become a premium when elimination is the result of a game and it's not just who's trying to win don't be afraid to play unders and if you're going to do it don't test out lives I, I do think it will end up being a profitable way to take the game into uh the tickets and hopefully to the pay window and you mentioned the nec that has been by far the best conference this year for unders it's not yep. even close you yep. take a look at the top under teams in college basketball three of your top four come from the nec so and it's been absolutely remarkable to take a look at and don't bet Long Island to win their conference tournament. That's a little <laughs> bit of a piece of advice. If you can get the no on that, well, you're not going to get any sort of a payout, but don't take the yes. Just don't take the yes on Long Island, but we always <laughs> take the yes 
on getting you aboard, Justin, because you do amazing work at Jack Quality Bets. Love the good people at home. Know what's on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Of course. Yeah, we have a lot of great stuff coming up with Shock Quality. I'll be writing some conference previews on Twitter. Of course, follow me at Justin Perry 8. They'll be on Shock Quality Bets as well. Some pretty exciting stuff coming in terms of like the tooling. We're going to have a bunch of different bracket tools, some standard, you know, Shock Quality brackets based on how you want to look at the game, official staff picks from everybody at Shock Quality. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then we're going to have an advanced tool that lets you like customize sliders to create your own bracket. Should be a good time. A lot of cool stuff is going to be coming. We're going to be doing a lot of live scores during March Madness, during conference tournaments. So be on the lookout for that. Something we're testing and building now. I'm really excited to be here next year and have all these things like humming. But we're trying some really great stuff. And if you like college basketball analytics and expected analytics, definitely give us a follow. Hopefully we don't let you down and we show you some cool stuff along the way. Justin and all the other folks over there at Shot Quality and Shot Quality Bets do absolutely amazing work. I saw their telecast a few weeks ago in that A-10 slobber knocker, and that was a lot of fun to take a look at. The folks over there at Shot Quality and Shot Quality Bets are growing every single day. They've done an amazing job of being able to put numbers of what we're actually seeing out there on the floor. And Justin, one of the best in the industry of taking a look at college basketball. Always great to get Justin Perry aboard on this podcast, Coast to Coast Superstyle, part of the Beats and Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some bank down. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade. With the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. 
the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. And we're back here, love you, Las Vegas. For Just Guessing with myself, Greg Eves Peters, and now part of the Beast and Family Podcast. It's always great to get Justin Perry aboard. He does amazing work over at Chalk Quality Bets, taking a look at the great game of college basketball. They over there at Chalk Quality Bets do an amazing job of being able to put numbers to what we're actually seeing out there on the court, being able to just give a little bit more context as to what we have been able to notice in college basketball, because as we know, Variance, it very much is a part of this fine sport, and a man that does more than just a fine job, as a matter of fact, does an amazing job, is Justin. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coast Coast Hoops, now part of the VEASAN Family Podcast, and now it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we had some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side in total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at unit underscore 81. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. We've always got the uh, conference tournament games at the bottom. So on the normal Las Vegas betting board, the last games that I'm going to be hitting are going to be those OVC games. And then when we get to the extra games board, the last games that I'm going to be hitting are those games out in the NEC tournament along with the Big South tournament. Everything else that is in time order. So let's get things started with 665, 666. On the betting board, Xavier, it's a road face-off against Providence. Providence is a favorite of 3 to 3.5 three and points, and your total is between 153.5 and 154.5. I did set my total at a 149, so I'm going to be willing to take the under. It is a Xavier team that no fans are butts about it. They have been certainly one of the best offenses in all of college basketball, but we have been noticing that Xavier has been getting held down a little bit more by their offense recently. I do think that 
little bit of this is a residual effect of just not having Zach Fremantle out there on the floor, but it is an X-Men team that they have failed to exceed the 70-point plateau in three out of their last five games, and one of those games that they did was against Paul. so there's that now. Xavier Sill, a very good shooting team overall this season, shooting 39.6% from three-point range, and it's the top 15 mark in all of college basketball. And you've got Sule Boom along with Kobe Jones. These two guys have been able to combine for a little bit over 32 points, nine rebounds. They both give you 4.6 assists per game. They combine for about 2.7 steals with Boom bringing the Boom, shooting 42% from three. Jones is able to shoot 39% from three. And Jack Nunji, 14.5 points, eight boards, while he also shoots over 40% from three-point range, but I think that Providence is going to be able to do a solid job down low. They are a top 15 team in the country in terms of rebound rate. You've gotten a lot out of Ed Crosswell along with Bryce Hopkins. These two guys are combining for in the neighborhood of about 16 rebounds per game. Hopkins, good versatility, 16 and a half points. She's 39% from three-point range. Noel Locke has been able to shoot 39% from three-point range. I do ultimately think that Providence is going to be able to get the job done. They have been very rock solid when they have been at home this season. Last time these two teams played, it's a game that went to overtime. Xavier got out of there just barely, and that was one of their first games without Zach Fremantle in the full, but I don't think that Providence is going to be able to cover with the hook. I do think that this is, once again, a three or so point game. Providence has been having a lot of narrow escapes on their own court. Providence is a team that they themselves don't necessarily have a ton of depth. In the first game that they played against Xavier, they had one guy coming off the bench for north of five minutes, so that is something that you do want to be taking note of. I do like the fact that Jared Bynum has been able to come back, has been able to give this team some stability, and has really Really been able to return with his three-point shooting. Over the last month, he's shooting well above 40% from three-point range. Towards the beginning part of the season, that was very much less than savory as he, the first two and a half or so months of the season, was shooting just 25% from three-point range. And Providence and Xavier both do a solid job of not turning the ball over a whole heck of a lot. Providence, they turned the ball over 12 times for contest. Xavier, they're going to turn it over a little bit more like 13 times per game, but that's because Xavier, a top 30 team in terms of tempo. Providence, a little bit closer to 100th, but I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a team down game. Xavier has been having to rely a little bit more on their defense, and first time these two teams played, it was a game that went to overtime, which is why you saw so much scoring of 76 to 76 going into overtime. I think we're going to get a similar field game here. I set my total 149. I'm going to be willing to dive under in this spot with Providence. Made them a three-point favorite, so here at three and a half, I'm going to be willing to take the points. I do think that Jerome Hunter going to be able to do a relatively solid job on glass in this one. I do think that Xavier, a team that I mentioned it, they have been struggling with their offense, but I do like the way that their defense has been able to fortify things as well, giving up 71 points or fewer. Since these two teams last met up, that would be six games in total for Xavier. Do like the under. Won't take anything north of three with Xavier. 667, 668 on the betting board. Richmond hits the road faceoff against St. Joe's. St. Joe's hopes to not be average Joe's. As Sarah Pickham to a one-point favorite in your total on this game. It is between 142 and a half and 144. And for St. Joe's, I made them a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the one. St. Joe's is going to have the best backcourt out there on the floor now. Tyler Burton might be the best overall player on the floor. I like the way that Burton has been able to just do his job night in, night out for Richmond. He's supplying 19 points, seven half boards, chips in there a steal and a half per game, but this is just not a great backcourt. You've got Jason Roche, who has been able to shoot a little bit north of 40% from three-point range, seven points per game, and then you do have a lot of guys that give you between about eight to nine points per game. Neil Quinn, Isaac Bigelow, Jason Nelson, 
Matt Grace, they all give you between 8.3 and 9.2 points per game. And Bigelow does give you about 5.5 rebounds per game. But nobody really jumps out. Nobody has really become that main facilitator for this team. As a matter of fact, the 7-foot Quinn is leading the team in assists. Meanwhile, St. Joe's, they do have that trigger man. Inland Greer, 12 points, 5 boards, 4 assists, a steal per game. Eric Reynolds, Cam Brown. Combined to shoot 37.5% from the outside with a combined 32 points. Brown is able to give you six rebounds per game. Now, they've been dealing with a few injuries down low. St. Joe's has been Ajikpe Obiana has been dealing with a little bit of an injury. He's their main low post player. And Kepper Klanzic has been dealing with an injury as well. But Klanzic has been able to return a little bit recently. He missed much of the month of February before returning against VCU. Did miss the team's last game, but it looks like he has a chance to be able to play in this one as well. So... And helps him out. He's been able to give the team right around five rebounds per game. But even without that, having Brown and his versatility, that's relatively big. And they've been able to get a little bit more down low out of Rashir Fleming. He's a true freshman that has been seeing more and more minutes. Had a nice 11 rebound game in that loss against VCU. And as a matter of fact, has been able to give the team at least five rebounds in four of the team's last six games. Four plus rebounds and five out of the last six. So he's been able to emerge as a nice little post presence for a St. Joe's team that hasn't necessarily been great with their defense, but after a good defensive start to the season for Richmond, things have been going down the toilet bowl for them as well. And as a matter of fact, both of these teams are relatively equal in terms of their points allowed on a per possession basis in recent months. St. Joe's, they're overall 210th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Richmond overall for the season is 166th, but for Richmond, you take a look at this bunch and they gave up at least 70 points in four out of their last five games. Meanwhile, you got a St. Joe's team that they have given up at least 76 points in each of their last four games, but you're able to get much more offensively out of St. Joe's. 75 plus points in three out of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Richmond bunch that they have been held to 62 points or fewer in two out of their last three games and three out of their last six overall. So it does make for a relatively interesting spot. I do think that St. Joe's is going to have more in the backcourt. Tyler Burton is going to be the best low post player in this game. Eric Reynolds is the best scorer in this game, though. St. Joe's having the better facilitation with Lynn Greer. I do think it's going to be enough to be able to get the job done. This is a relatively slow Richmond team in the bottom 75 in terms of total possessions per game. I do think that Richmond slows down the tempo in this game, but I think that St. Joe's executes a little bit better. So I did set St. Joe's as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them in this spot. Did set my total at a 138 as well, so also going to be taking a look at the under. 669, 670 on the betting board, Duquesne. They are going to be playing us a UMass. UMass is a underdog of 10 to 10 and a half points with your total anywhere between 148 and a half and 149. And with Duquesne, I made them just a nine-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points with UMass. UMass should be turning into UMash because, well, they have been dealing with a whole bunch of injuries. But I do take a look at this spot, and I do think that the line is a little bit overhyped in terms of Duquesne. Duquesne has actually been able to do a relatively solid job with their defense. They've become a top 125 team. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. They've been able to do a nice job at home as they're giving up about nine points fewer per one-hour possessions at home rather than in a road-slash-record environment. And they do have a guy that I like in Nate Grant. He's able to give you 15 points. He's 41% from three-point range. Ty Brewer has become a nice facilitator for the team, but you really don't have a lot of rebounding for Duquesne. Joe Reese, Austin Rotroff, they both give you five rebounds per game, and Rotroff has just completely fallen out of the rotation. So even with UMass dealing with all their injuries, they should be able to hold up down low. They've been dealing with Matt Cross, Noah Fernandez, their top two scorers, and... 
Cross being your only guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game, being out of the fold, that has really hurt them. But I do think that someone like uh, Wilden Slavik, when he's out there, he's going to be able to do a solid job. He was over at South Carolina last year. He's been able to give the team right around 4.7 rebounds per game. Isaac Conte is someone that, while he was playing over at Hofstra a few years ago, was a double-double guy. He's only been able to give the team about 6.5 points, 4 rebounds per game, but I do think that he'll be able to come on towards the back half of the season as well. And it is a UMass team that still has a trio of guys. And TJ Weeks, RJ Louise, along with DeAndre Dominguez, will be able to do a nice job combining for in that neighborhood of about 27.5 points per game. Dominguez shoots 42% from 3. Louise and Weeks, they both shoot about 34 to 35% from the outside. It is a UMass team that has really throttled down their tempo as well. They have scored 72 points for fear on four of their last five games. This has been a UMass team that throughout the season has been a top 75 team in terms of possessions per game, but all the injuries have certainly caused them to be slowing it down quite a bit, and Duquesne is not a team that's going out there and just completely gunning it down your throat. Duquesne, 155th in the country in terms of total possessions per game and playing at 3.8 possessions fewer at home rather than in a road slash record environment. It is a Duquesne team that, as well as giving up 71 points or fewer in four out of their last five games, I do think that the injuries to UMass is causing them to play a little bit more slowly, but I do think that they've got the weapons to be able to do a relatively solid job on the glass. I do think that this is going to be a game that is going to be a little bit more slowed down, and with Duquesne not really having a lot on the glass, having quite a bit in the backcourt, I think that the Dukes, they get the job done, just down to the tune of double figures. I set my line at 9. I'm going to be one take 10 plus here with UMass. Semi-total at a 143, so also diving under. 671, 672 on the betting board. You've got Vanderbilt, and they hit their face faceoff against Kentucky. Kentucky is a favorite of 10 to 9 points in your total. It is between 146 and 147 half with Kentucky. I set them as a favorite of 10 and a half points. I'm going to be willing to lay the 9 to 10. Now, Vanderbilt has really been able to rise up with their offense, but this has been a team that on defense just has not been able to hold up at the point of attack. For Vanderbilt, they're outside of the top 225 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, 257th as a matter of fact, and when they leave home, they are giving up right around 12.7 points more per 100 possessions rather than in a road-slash-shoot-record environment, and Vanderbilt, I think their best hope is just being able to get the ball to Liam Robinson, though, who has been putting up some absolutely absurd numbers. 18-plus points in each of the team's last five games. As a matter of fact, he has been able to do a great job with his blocks as well. How about 14 blocks? In the last two games, a combined 32 rebounds in the last three. A combined 50 rebounds in the last five. This guy has been absolutely on fire down low. And he was a missing cog when these two teams hooked up the first time around. First time Kentucky went to Nashville, Tennessee. They played Vanderbilt. They were able to get a nice easy win by a count of 69-53, to a game in which Robinson did not play in. That was a very different looking Kentucky team that was just starting to face Xavier Wheeler on the fold. Now it feels like Kentucky has their really nice blend of guys. They've been able to fortify themselves here the past two weeks. Oscar Shibway, he's going to be able to win the battle down low, in my opinion, against Robbins. Going to be tougher than it was the first time around, but he's averaging 16.5 points, 12.8 rebounds per game. And this is a Kentucky team that they've got good three-point shooting. Kassan Wallace, 12 points, 4.5 assists, doesn't turn the ball over a lot. He shoots 36% from three, Kentucky as a whole. They only turn the ball over 11.5 times per game, and this is a Kentucky team that they've been having success with slowing themselves down. Kentucky is ranked right in the neighborhood about 250th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. They've been trusting in Wallace quite a bit with the ball, and it's been working out very well. He's been getting the ball quite a bit to Austin Reeves, who has been a 42% three-point shooter, giving you 13 points per contest. 
Dima has also dealt with an injury to CJ Frederick, but the guy that I think has been an X-factor for this punch, Chris Livingston. He's been seeing more minutes recently. Didn't play as much in that win against Auburn, but in the games against Florida and Tennessee, both W's, he had to combine 22 points and 25 rebounds in those two contests. He's a six foot six, a little bit of a joker player that's able to sink threes at about a 35% clip. He has been a big difference maker for Kentucky. Meanwhile, for Vanderbilt, this team doesn't really do a great job of canning shots. She's right around 33.5% for three now. One thing Vanderbilt does not do is turn the ball over. 10.7 turnovers frame. They don't force turnovers either. They're not going to press the issue. They only get about 4.7 seals per game. Tyron Lawrence along Jordan Wright. They've been able to combine for about 21 points per contest. They both combined to shoot about 30.5% from three-point range. Ezra Manjohn has been able to give you about four assists, nine points per game, but also shoots 11.5% from three-point range. Vanderbilt doesn't necessarily have the world's greatest depth. They've been relying upon guys like Emmanuel Ansung to be able to step up. Trey Thomas has been able to give them some solid minutes recently. To his credit, eight-plus points in four of the team's last five games, but I do think that Kentucky just has this Vanderbilt team outclassing. Kentucky has really been able to find themselves on defense, giving up 68 points or fewer in three of their last four games. This is a Vanderbilt offense that has been able to get past 75 points in four of their last five games, but they have also been playing against a little bit of better competition. I don't think that Vanderbilt gets all the 53 like they did the last time around, but I'm a believer in this Kentucky defense. I did set this total at a 140 and a half. I'm going to be one to dive under. Really like the way that Kentucky turned over a new leaf. I think that Oscar Sheboy wins a battle down low, and that allows for a Kentucky cover. Set Kentucky is a 10 and a half point fair favorite, willing to lay the 9.5 to 10 that I'm seeing, and willing to take this total under as well. 673, 674 on the betting board. Notre Dame is going to be playing us to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is a 4.5 point road favorite, and your total it is between 142.5 and 143.5. For Pittsburgh, I did set them as a 6 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. It has been a Notre Dame bunch. has just been a complete and utter disaster on defense all season long. There's no other way of putting it. For Pittsburgh, they have been not necessarily the world's greatest defense themselves. In terms the points a lot on a per possession basis are ranked right around 117th and they give up in the neighborhood about four and a half points more per one hundred possessions when they leave home but this Notre Dame team is in the bottom 40 in terms of total possessions per game 316th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis only give up 2.4 points fewer per one hundred possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment you have to be wondering if this Notre Dame team has just flat out quit as well I'll make Bray because he's done at the end of the season Notre Dame has scored 64 points or fewer in each of their last four games. That includes games against Wake Forest and North Carolina, by the way. Now, the defense has honestly been a little bit better in that time span. They've given up fewer than 70 points in each of their last four games, but I do think that Pittsburgh is going to be able to take it to them. Pittsburgh has really been able to do a good job with their big two in Blake Hinson and Jamarius Burton. Combined for 31.3 points. They combined for a little bit over 11 boards. Burton giving you four and a half assists per game. Nellie Cummings ships in their five assists. Cummings also shoots right around 35% from three. It's a really good free throw shooting team in Pittsburgh as well as a collective. They shoot north of 77% at the charity stripe. Nike Sabandi's been able to give you some production. And now you've got Frederico Frederico being able to have two blocks per game down low. For Notre Dame, it's just all about Nate Leshevsky and his versatility. 14.7 boards. He's 40% from three. And Notre Dame does a nice job holding on to the ball. 8.8 turnovers per game with that slow, grimy style. You've got a trio of guys from J.J. Sarland, Dane Goodwin, along with Cormac Ryan. That'll give you between 11.2 and 11.7 
seven points per game, but really, other than Dane Goodwin and his 5.1 rebounds per game, you don't have a lot of help for Lashevsky down low. Trey Wirtz has done a solid job of doling out the ball, but Notre Dame applies zero defensive pressure whatsoever. They shoot 36% from three-point range as a collective, but they're so predictable on offense. They're just going to hook up there a bunch of threes and hope that they fall Pittsburgh has been really able to do a solid job of being able to exploit a lot of those teams, and they've just done a better job on offense themselves. Pittsburgh at least 72 points in each other last five games, 76 plus points in four of their last five. I do think that Pittsburgh is going to go bombs away on a Notre Dame team that has been struggling a little bit more with their offense. I do think that Notre Dame is going to be able to find some open looks from three in this game. I think that Pittsburgh just executes their offense better in this spot, though. I did set Pittsburgh as a six-point favorite. I think that Notre Dame is going to be held to a lot of one-and-done opportunities. They're either going to sink their three or they're going to be heading back on defense. Um, in circumstance of which I'm going to be willing to take a look at this little over. So I told one. 44 made my line six with Pittsburgh being the favorite. So want to lay with Pittsburgh and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over 675, 676 on the board. George Mason is going to be playing us a Fordham. Fordham is a underdog of three to three and a half points. Your total on this game is 139 and a half. With Fordham, I set them as a two-point underdog. I'm going to be willing to take the points. It's a Fordham bunch that has done an amazing job with their defense. Fordham in the top 75 in terms of possessions per game. They are looking to play a little bit more up-tempo. They're a team that has a top 30 block rate in all of college basketball as well. And they're 40th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And I will say, they're giving up about 9.7 points more per one-hour possessions when they do leave home. But they're going up against a George Mason team that, towards the beginning part of the year, they were really fortifying themselves on defense. And George Mason has been able to get back to their roots a little bit more. They're back in the top 100 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis at 95th. But George Mason has also kicked up their tempo. They were a bottom 100 team in terms of possessions per game to begin the season. Now they're playing a little bit more rapidly. To their credit, George Mason has given up fewer than 70 points in each of their last four games. A little bit of a bribe product of playing against some slower teams, though, as well. Meetham, well, it's a forum team that has given up 71 points or fewer in all but two games this calendar year, despite the fact that they are willing to go more up-tempo. And I do think that having Rodoslav and Nodakovsky along with Abdul Sambilia is really going to be big for them down low as a combined 11.2 rebounds, about 11 points per game of these two guys. But the big thing that they provide, 3.1 blocks per contest. You've had Khalid Moore step in, give you 15 points, six half boards. Each of your top four scorers, by the way, for Fordham do give you at least a seal per game, including Darius Quinsbury with his 17 points per game. Eintral Charlton, three and a half assists, seven and a half points, three and a half rebounds, just does it all. Meanwhile, you've got a George Mason bunch that really does rely upon Victor Bailey to be able to ignite the offense. Gives you 12 points per game. She's 47% from three par inch George Mason. They do shoot 36% from three, but as a mid-tempo team, they turn the ball over 13.6 times for contest and late in games if George Mason is leading by like 4 or 5 points 30 seconds left they're getting felled they shoot as a collective 64.2% at the free throw line I like the versatility of Devin Cooper and Ronald Polite they combine for about 22 points 7 boards 6.8 assists and nearly 2 seals per contest both of them shoot above 35% from 3 par range but a little bit of a top heavy George Mason team would like to see them get a little bit more out of someone like a Jinka Ojioko who's been able to give you about 4.5 points per game. Fordham has relatively solid depth, and I do think the Fordham going to be able to hold up with their defense. 
George Mason has gotten back to their defensive roots a little bit as well, even though Fordham is a relatively up-tempo team. They struggle a little bit with their offense. They themselves turn the ball over right around 13 and a half times per game, so I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a sloppier game. As a result, I did set my total at 135, diving under, but I do think that George Mason's free throw shooting could be a little bit of a bugaboo, and I think that Fordham holds up on defense. We'll only take the points with Fordham, set them as a two-point underdog, and looking at the under made by total 135, 677, 678 on the betting board. Davidson plays those to George Washington. Our nation's first president is an eight and a half point underdog. Your total is between 150 and 151. I did set Davidson as a favorite of six and a half points. I'm going to be willing to take the points with our nation's first president for George Washington. The defense has not necessarily been there. I think that he's still trying to bring in reinforcements after the battle. Trent did not go so well for him. Three or ninth in the country. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis. This is a Davidson team, though, that has really been struggling with their offense after they were clicking on all cylinders a season ago. Davidson, a more slow team, about 250th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. George Mason, they've been playing faster and faster. They're in the top 100 with this regard, but it is the Davidson team has been leaking oil with their defense. They are now outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, 216th, as a matter of fact, and giving up just one-tenth of a point fewer per one our possessions at home rather than in a road-slash-shoot-record environment for Davidson. Last year, they were one of the top three-point shooting teams in all of college basketball. Now they're shooting 33.4% from three. They take care of the ball. 1.2 turnovers per game. Foster Lawyer has been having to do it all for the team. 16 points, 4.2 boards, 4.5 assists. But him having to do it all has led to his three-point shooting percentage go from north of 40% last year down to 34% this year. Sam Menenga has been solid. 15.5 points, 6.5 boards at 6 foot nine. He buries 38% of his threes. But need more out of guys like Desmond Wasman, David Skogman, who have been combined for about 16.5 points per game. Meanwhile, George Bateson, they've got James Bishop, the fourth, who has been one of the top scorers in all of college basketball. 5.2 assists, 21.6 points per contest. Not a great three-point shooter. Overall, George Washington turns the ball for 13 times per game. They shoot about 32.8% from three-point range, but should be able to win that battle down low. Maximus Edwards, Ricky Lindo Jr. combined for 13 rebounds, 21 points per game. Brendan Adams, 17.5 points, three assists himself, shooting about 39% from three-point range. George Washington lacking a little bit of depth, but they certainly aren't lacking offensive firepower. They've gotten past 80 points in each of the last three games. Defense has given up at least 80 points in four of the last five as well. To Davidson's credit, they've been a little bit better with their defense recently, giving up 61 and 67 respectively last week in their two games. But I do have my question marks with this Davidson defense. Davidson looking to play more slow. George Washington looking to play a little bit faster. I do think that George Washington is going to be able to do a solid job on the glass. I think that Davidson gets a little bit more of their pace. So I did set this line at 6.5. I'm going to be willing to take 8.5 with George Washington. With George Washington, I do think that they're going to look to throttle down their tempo just a little bit more in this spot as well. So I did set my total 144.5, diving under, and I'm going to be willing to take the points with George Washington. 679, 680 on the betting board. Ohio State is going to be playing us in Maryland. Maryland is a one and a half to a two point favorite, and your total that is between 137 and 137 and a half. With Maryland, I made them a favorite of two and a half points. I'm going to be willing to lay the very small number with Maryland now. With Maryland, their defense has honestly traveled really well. We take a look at the Big Ten, and no doubt about it, there have been very demonstrative home and road splits. Maryland's defense has not experienced too much of that at all. Maryland, overall for the year, 53rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they're actually giving up six-tenths of a point fewer per 100 possessions when they leave home rather than when they're in a road-slash-shoot-record environment. It's the offense that's scoring right around 14 points fewer 
per 100 possessions when they leave home. So that's been an issue for them. Maryland has been able to do a great job of holding up with their defense all season long. They did not allow a single opponent to exceed 70 points in the month of February. Now, last time these two teams hooked up, both teams did get past the 70-point plateau. We did see some good three-point shooting in that game, but combined 14 out of 32 from three-point range on these two teams. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more dry in this spot. And for Ohio State, give them credit. They were able to go out there. They got a nice win against Illinois, but they no longer have Zed Key in the fold. He's been their top rebounder, which means that Felix Opara is going to be getting more reps. He overall for the season has been able to give the team about three rebounds, four points per game, very pedestrian numbers. And he played just eight minutes in that win against Illinois. But I do think that in these next few games, he is going to be getting a little bit more of a look as he was actually a starter in that game against Illinois and went out very, very early. So you've got to be figuring that there's going to be some small ball played by Ohio State as well. You had Justice Suing and Bryce Sensabaugh combined for 17 rebounds in that game. And Sensabaugh, he's been able to do an amazing job all season long for Ohio State. 16.5 points, 5 boards. She's 42.5% from 3. But Maryland, who's got solid bigs, but they're not like just guys that are going to completely bruise you on the glass. They now have a little bit of an edge. Dante Scott along with Julian Reese. Combining for 13.2 rebounds, 23 points per game. Hakeem Hart has been able to shoot 35% for three and 12 points per contest. And Jameer Young, he just subs the stat sheet for Maryland. 16 points, 4.5 boards, 3.5 assists. Shoots about 32% for three. All in all, Maryland shooting about 32.5% for three, but they take care of the ball. 10.5 turnovers per game. Neither of these teams are playing up tempo for Maryland. They're a bottom 50 team in all of college basketball in terms of pace. 334th in the country, as a matter of fact, in terms of total possessions per game. Ohio State, they are 245th. I do think that things are going to be tamed down from what we saw the first time around. It is an Ohio State defense that I'm not going to say it's been terrific by any stretch of the imagination, but at home, you know what? It's been able to hold up at the point of attack. Iowa State overall for the season is about 169th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but you take a look at this bunch at home, and they are giving up 15.8 points fewer per one hour possessions rather than when they're in a road-slash-shoot-record environment, and I do think that that is going to be holding up in this spot, allowing for a little bit of a lower-scoring game. I did set my total at 134.5. As a result, I'm going to be diving under. It is a Maryland team that has been just so consistent with their defense. They have gotten two at least 68 points in four of their last five games. I think that they're probably going to be getting right around that 67, 68 mark once again in this one. Just enough to be able to get the job done. Set Maryland as a 2.5 point favorite one to lay the 1.5 to 2 against an Ohio State team that they got the win the last time around, but they still have went 2-14 and 14 in their last 16 games. So we're going to look to fade Ohio State once again, despite the fact that they are at home. Looking at Maryland in the spot and going to be taking this total under 681-682 on the board. Alabama is going to be playing us Auburn. Auburn is an underdog of 8.5 to 9 points with your total between 151 and 152 for Auburn. I did set them as an underdog of 8.5 points, so we'll take 9 and absolutely nothing less. You can tell that the allegations off the court have certainly been taking a little bit of a toll on Alabama. They've been in the crosshairs of, shall we say, some media scrutiny and for Brandon Miller, it has been a less than savory go of it for him in media relations. But for Brandon Miller, he's been able to do a really good job out there on the court. In his last two games, he's been completely unaffected by this. A combined 65 points, 14 rebounds, 3 steals. So he's been able to put it past him. It's been more or less the teammates. And Alabama is coming off of giving up north of 70 points for the first time in an SEC game all season long. 
Auburn has been very streaky with their offense. In their last five games, they have scored 69, 89, 65, 78, and 54 points. So they've been all over the place. Auburn, a bottom 50 team in terms of three-point shooting percentage. And the last time these two teams played, it was a 77-69 win on the home floor of Auburn. Auburn in that game honestly shot 7-24 from three. That's above average against Alabama, which I find to be very scary. Wendell Green in that game at 24 points. He's been the main guard for Auburn, being able to supply right around 14 points per contest. But Gini Broom, I think, is going to be able to hold up, and he's going to be able to clean up down low. 14 points, 8.5 boards, 2.5 blocks per contest. It is an Auburn team that still ranks in the top 25 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And both of these defenses have been incredibly supreme with the way that they have been playing all season long. It's an Alabama team that's in the top 10 in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but they're 8th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And Auburn's defense has been able to travel there. 33rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but in the top 30 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, one away from home, you've been able to get right around 11 points, 5 boards out of Jalen Williams, who's been shooting about 37% per 3 and for Alabama just have so much depth with this team. They're able to go eight or nine deep. You've got a pair of guys in Javon Quinterly, along Jaden Bradley, that have both been able to supply you with a combined seven assists per game, only about seven to eight points per game out of these two guys, but Noah Clowney has been able to give you eight rebounds per game. Mark Sears shoots 38% from three, 13 and a half points per game. Alabama, though, does turn the ball for 14 times per game. That is a little bit of a bugaboo. It is an Auburn team that's been able to generate eight steals per game, and I think that this is going to be a very similar game to what we saw the first time around. I do think that Alabama is going to hold Auburn just below 70 in this game. I think that Alabama gets it done, and I think that they get it done by multiple possessions, but not by double figures. I set my line at 8.5. I'm going to be willing to take 9 with Auburn. I set my total at 150.5, so here at 152, diving under to go along with my play of Auburn. 683-684 on the bidding board. DePaul, it's a road face-off against UConn. UConn, a 17.5 point favor with your total between 147 and 148.5. With UConn, I did set them as a favorite of 16 points. I'm going to be willing to take the 17-plus with DePaul. DePaul has been a grody team all season long in terms of their defense, but they do have a pair of guys in Omaja Gibson, coupled with Javon Johnson, who have been able to do a very nice job for this team, combining for about 31 points per contest. Both of these guys shoot it well from three-point range, and Gibson has been able to be a very good facilitator of 4.8 assists, right around 1.9 steals per game. He shoots 42.8% from three. Johnson more around 39.5% from the outside, and I do think that Nick Ogenda needs to be taken into account a little bit more as well. He's been able to help fortify things down low for this DePaul team. Now, hasn't really led to a lot of better defense. They've given up 80-plus points in three out of the four games that he's played in, but keep in mind, one of those games went to double overtime against St. John's, but I mean, he is currently just a man possessed down low as he's been able to give the team a combined 23 blocks in four games. He's averaging about 10 points per contest as well. That helps out to Sean Nelson, who's been able to give you 10.5 points, five boards. He's been able to get to at least nine points in all but two of the team's games ever since the turn of the calendar. Meanwhile, it's a UConn team that does rank in the top 20 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They do an amazing job on the glass as each other top six scores do supply at least four rebounds per game. Donovan Klingon has been able to give you two blocks, seven and a half points per game. Andre 3000 Jackson, six and a half points, 6.3 rebounds, four assists per game. And then Adama Sanogo, he makes things a go-go along Jordan Hawkins. These two guys 
combined for 33.5 points. Sonogo gives you 7 boards. Hawkins shoots 39% from 3. Sonogo 37% from the outside. I do think that UConn going to be able to get a rather convincing win. It's a UConn offense that has been very good recently, getting to at least 87 points in 3 out of their last 5 games. But this defense has been holding up as well. They've given up 69 points or fewer in 3 out of their last 4 games. Is a DePaul team that has been all over the place in terms of their offenses. They have scored 68 points or fewer in four out of their last six games. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a slog of a game the first time these two teams played. It was 90-76 to 76 in that game. You saw DePaul actually shoot 9 of 20 from three-point range, but they also did not have anything down low. They lost that rebound battle 38-25. to 25. I do think that getting Ogenda in the fold is going to help with that respect quite a bit. UConn has been able to do a rock-solid job with their defense all season long, so I do think that this is going to be a game that is going to be throttled down a little bit more. I do think that it's going to be a tad bit lower scoring. I did set my total at a 148. We're between 147.5 and 148.5. I gravitate towards an under in this spot at the 148.5, and with DePaul, I do think that getting Ogenda back in the fold is going to do just enough to help keep this team within the number. I set my number at a 16. We'll take 17.5 in this ordeal, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under 685, 686 on the betting board. Total it's for road face off against South Florida. South Florida is a favorite of 13 points in your total. It is between 148 and 148 and a half. With this total, I did set it at a 143 and a half. I'm going to be willing to dive under because it's one of those things where Tulsa has not been able to do a good job with their offense, and they have not been able to do a good job with their defense. The last first half that we saw, they scored 12 points against Central Florida. Central Florida, not a bad defense, but need to put up more than 12 points. Meanwhile, it's a Tulsa team that ranks 341st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis as they are giving up... About 10.5 points more per one-arm possessions on the road rather than at home as well. Science not helping them out. Meanwhile, they go up against the South Florida team that is ranked 172nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This is a completely different South Florida team from what we saw last season. Celta Miguel, Russell Chewa have been able to combine for 21 points, a 7-footer in Chewa. So they able to give you 8 boards, and Tyler Harris has really helped this team turn the corner as last year South Florida was dead last in the country in terms of 3-point shooting percentage. They're now shooting about 34.5% from three with errors, making 40% of its three, 17 points per contest. You have Sam Hines Jr. is able to give you about five rebounds per game. Keyshawn Bryant is able to give you nine points, four and a half rebounds per game. It certainly has been a fade of a Tulsa team all season long. They have covered four spreads all season long, and I can't get behind Tulsa in this spot. I did set South Florida as a 15.5 point favorite. I just feel like with Tulsa, they actually began the season not too bad, and these players have not been able to ascend. Like Sam Griffin, he's able to give you 15 points per contest, shoots 32% from three. You've only got two guys on the roster, though they give you north of three rebounds per game. You thought someone was going to be able to bust out, whether that be a just Sean McWright or what have you. Brian Sadovangu, 12 points, nine boards. He's been solid. Brandon Betson shoots 40% for three with this is nine and a half points per game. Tim Dalger, nine and a half points, 5.3 rebounds per game. Other than that, that's it for Tulsa. Tulsa has just not been able to get anything generated whatsoever. It's a Tulsa team that has scored 60 points or fewer in four of the last five games, but they've also given up 76 plus points in four of their last six. You've had a South Florida team that has not been doing a great job with their defense. They've given up 75 plus in four out of their last six games, so it's a good old situation if something's got to give. Tulsa's been terrible on offense. Tulsa's been terrible on defense. I do think that Tulsa, going through a swing in which your defense has been a little bit better, they've given up fewer than 70 points in each other the last two games, but it's been at the expectation of the offense, so I sort of went in the middle. I set my total at 143.5. 
going to be one to dive under. Operation Fate Tulsa, it's back in full swing. I set South Florida as a 15.5 point favorite, so I'm going to be one to lay the number, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under. 687, 688 on the betting board. Stone Cold Stephen F. Austin plays us to Sam Houston State. Sam Houston State is in a pick'em game with your total 134 to 134.5, and we're going to be riding with Sam once again. I set Sam Houston State as a two-point favorite for Stephen F. Austin. A little bit of a steals or nothing team. They do a better job of getting back on defense than some of these other teams that they try to just get a whole bunch of steals like at Eastern Kentucky, like even Tarleton State in their own conference. But it is a Stephen F. Austin team that also has a really tough time holding on to the ball. 15.2 turnovers per game. Sorry, Dean A. Hall, Latrell Jossel. Both of these guys have combined for 25 points per game and they combined to shoot about 42% from three-par. And J.J. Kajuse has done a nice job doling out 4.3 assists. He shoots 40% from three and it's Matter of fact, for Stephen F. Austin out of your top five scores, four of them do shoot north of 39% from three-point range. They go up against the same Houston State team that is in the top 15, actually, in terms of their three-point shooting percentage. They shoot 38.8% from three-point range. You do have a Sam Houston State team that they themselves turn the ball over about 13 and a half times per game, and they aren't as up-tempo as our good friend Stephen F. Austin. Stephen F. Austin with their style. They play faster, 57th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. You do have a Sam Houston State team that is outside of the top 250 with this regard. They're clocking in more around 307th, but Sam Houston State has been relentless with their defense. How about 12th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis? They have been incredible with Qua Grant being the main headliner for the same 14 points, four boards, 3.8 assists per game. Sam Houston State doesn't have one guy that gives you anything north of 4.6 rebounds per game, but they do an amazing job hitting the glass by committee. Seven different guys give you north of three rebounds per game. That's sort of the way that Stephen F. Austin is set up as well. So no real dominant post player for Stephen F. Austin means that Sam Houston State should be able to get their style on Sam Houston State has allowed 62 points or fewer in each other last five games. They're riding a five-game win streak with scoring north of 66 points in just one of them. Meanwhile, Steve F. Austin, they've been able to get their defense element as well. They've given up 72 points in regulation in three other last four games. I tossed out the double overtime game that you saw against Abilene Christian. That game was relatively harebrained, but Sam Houston State going to do a solid job in this game. I think that's going to be a little bit sloppy as Steve F. Austin does a great job generating seals. Sam Houston State, they get about nine seals per game as well. You've got a lot of guys in Deontay Powers along Cameron Huffner that do a good job of helping out Quad Grant. They combine for about 21 and a half points per game in Huffner. She's 46.3% from three-point range at six foot seven, and you're able to go north of 11 players deep with the Sam Houston State team. They've got four separate guys that see meaningful minutes that have been shooting above 41 and a half percent from three-point range. I think that Sam Houston State has too many weapons. I think that Sam Houston State is going to be able to get this game played on their pace. So I did semi-total 134 here at 134 and a half, diving under and Sam Houston State on this pick'em line. Made them the two-point favorite, so we're going to be riding with Sam. 689, 690 on the betting board. Utah Valley, they're going to be playing us to UT Arlington. UT Arlington is an underdog of 12 and a half points, and your total on this game is anywhere between 136 and 136 half with UT Arlington. I did set them as an underdog of 12 points. I'm going to be willing to take the 12 and a half. The one thing that UT Arlington does is they get their slow, methodical pace. This bunch is in the bottom 40 in terms of total possessions per game, and for UT Arlington, They've actually been able to get to or exceed 70 points in each other last three games. They had done so just three times prior to this run all season long. Now they do go up against a Utah Valley team that they play sort of the 40 minutes of H-E double hockey stick style in that 
Utah Valley is a relatively up-tempo team. They're 38th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but with this Utah Valley team as well, 42nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They don't really get too much of a boost from being at home. They're only giving up about 0.8 points fewer per 100 possessions when they're at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. And what I will say for UT Arlington is that the defense has been able to travel. They're only 198th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they do give up 2.3 points fewer per 100 possessions in a roadside shoot record environment among their top five scores. Four of them do give you north of four rebounds per game, including Samir Wilson, 11 points, 7.8 rebounds, and you've been able to get a little bit more three-point shooting. Aaron Cash, along with Chandel Weaver, throwing their Kyron Gibson. These scores are number two through four for the team. They combined to shoot about 40% from three. Between the three of them, they've been able to supply this team with about 28 points per contest. You've been able to get a little bit as well out of Marion Humphreys. They've give you six and a half points, 2.7 assists per game for Arlington. 14 turnovers per game has not necessarily been too terrific. And for Utah Valley, they're going to be able to control things on low with Aziz Bendogo, who's been able to give you 11 and a half points, 10 and a half boards, 2.9 blocks per contest. Justin Harmon doesn't shoot it well from three, but gives you three assists, 13 points per game. And then Trey Woodbury, along with Latrell Dothard, a combined 26.7 points. You've got Woodbury giving you four assists per game. Both guys shoot north of 36.5% from three-parring. Utah Valley themselves does turn the ball for 13.5 times per game. So I do think that this is going to be another one of those defense-oriented battles. I do think that there's going to be more possessions in this game than UT Arlington would like, but I think on both sides, you're going to be seeing a lot of turnovers. I think that this is going to be a relatively sloppy game, and I do think that Utah Valley is going to be able to get it done, but Utah Valley has not been winning a lot of their games by double figures. They've been winning a lot of low-scoring slogs as this is a bunch that has scored 71 points for fear and far their last five games as well. So I do think the UT Arlington going to hold in there in a little bit of a defensive struggle. So my total 134, I'm willing to dive under. And in this ordeal, I did make my line 12. I'm going to be willing to take 12.5 with UT Arlington. 691, 692 on the betting board. Oklahoma, it's a road faceoff against Kansas State. Kansas State is a 6.5 point favorite. And your total on this game, it is 141.5. And with Kansas State, made them a 7.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Kansas State has been significantly better at home than they have been on the road with their defense. And they're going to have, in my opinion, by far the best two players out there on the floor. Marquise Noel, along with Keontae Johnson. Johnson, 17.5 points. Seven boards, a steal per game while shooting 42% from three-par inch Kansas State. A team that ranks in the top 35 nationally in terms of turnovers force on a per-possession at home. In a roadside shoot record environment, they're outside the top 100 and that shows in the fact that they are 24th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis and giving up 19.8 points fewer per one hour possessions at home. You've got Marquise Noel, who's able to give you 17 points, 7.5 assists, right around 2.3 steals per game. They go up against an Oklahoma team that has been playing rather slow and controlled. Porter Mosier trying to enlist his style that he took over from Loyola of Chicago, but We've been noticing Oklahoma getting sped up a little bit. At the same last month, they were more around 3 errands in the country in terms of total possessions per game. They're now up to 266th, and the defense has been getting charred a little bit as they've given up 74-plus points in four of their last six games. Now, I will say this. Last time these two teams met up, you have to go back to February 14th. That was a 79-65 to win in which Oklahoma went 11-23 of from three-point range, but Oklahoma does have a tendency to turn the ball over. This is a bunch that has been committing about 13 and after an over for game with their tempo. That's a bottom 50 mark in terms of ball protection. Turnovers on a per-possession basis. Now, Grant Sherfield, 16.5 points, 3.3 assists, shoots 40% for three, but Oklahoma is a whole They shoot about 35% from three-par inch. Kansas State has been significantly better with their offense when they have been at home, so I think that they're going to be able to hold up there. You do have 
a pair of guys in Tanner Groves and Jalen Hill who have been able to combine for about 12.7 rebounds. They both give you 10 points apiece. And then you've had Jacob Groves couple with Milos Uzan who both provide some size. They combine to shoot about 38% from three-point range. But for Oklahoma, defense has been going down the tubes. And for Kansas State, ever since they did give up that 79 spot to Oklahoma, they've lost 68 points or fewer in each other last three games. Kansas State has been slowed down a little bit more with their offense. 73 points or fewer have been scored in four out of their last five games. So they've been holding up a little bit more on the defensive side of things. And for that matter, it is a Kansas State team that if you want to go back a little bit further, they have exceeded the 75-point plateau just twice in their last 10 games. But I do think that Kansas State has been able to get just enough out of guys like Desi Sills and company to be able to cover this sort of a number. I do think that Kansas State is going to be able to get their revenge. I do think that they're going to force a lot more turnovers on Oklahoma, which is also going to lead to a bit of a lower scoring game. Kansas State has really buckled down with their defense at home. I think that that's going to continue in this game. I did set my total at a 137 half. I'm going to be willing to dive under. With Kansas State made them a 7.5 point favorite, I'm going to be willing to lay the number. 693, 694 on the betting board. Creighton plays us to Georgetown. Georgetown is a 17.5 to an 18.5 point underdog. Mostly seeing 18.5. Total is between 145.5 and 146. I set my line at 17.5 as well. So this is one of these ordeals where I'm going to take 18.5 with Georgetown. I still remember doing a write-up. The first time these two teams played, I took the Galveston amount of points with Georgetown. They had a bad first half. They had a solid second half. So my theory held true there. I'm probably going to be doing that once again. If Georgetown has a good first half, I fade them in the second half. If Georgetown has a bad first half, I back them in the second half. Just a very simple theory of Georgetown plays one really good half every single game and one really bad half every single game, and it has been holding true all season long. But with this Georgetown bunch, you do have a pair of guys in Primo Spears, Long Brandon Murray, combining for about 30 points per game. Murray shoots only about 32% from three, but Murray, Spears, along with their next top scorer in Jay Heath, they've been able to do a good job combining for about 3.6 steals per game, and you've needed every single one of them because this is a Georgetown defense that has left a whole heck of a lot of something to be desired. They're 317th of the country. It turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. Not too much worse on the road, honestly. They're only giving up 1.9 points more per one hour possessions when they leave home. You've got to cook a cook. Kudis Bob down low, where he'll give you about 13.6 rebounds per game for Creighton. Their numbers are a little bit skewed. This is a bunch that ranks outside the top 20 in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis because they were without Ryan Kalkbrenner for quite some time. It is a team that they play better in Omaha with their defense as they've been giving up about 10.1 points fewer per one hour possessions at home rather than a road slash church court environment. And Creighton does not come in in the world's greatest form with their defense. They've given up at least 73 points in now three out of their last four games, but I do think that they'll get up off the mat in this one. I don't think that it's going to be as low scoring as the first time around. First time these two teams played, it was 63-53. to 53. Both of these teams were just so cold from the floor. Neither team shot above 38.5% from the field. For Crane, Ryan Kalkbrenner should be able to take over in this game. 15 points, 6 at boards, 2.3 blocks per contest. You do have Trey Alexander who's able to shoot 40% from 3. Baylor Shireman does it all, 13 points, 8 boards, and then Ryan Nemart is a guy that really goes under the radar. Lance year he was turning the ball over left and right two turnovers of five assists shoots 34.5% from three 12 points per game it's a crane team as relatively mid-tempo they're not really going to get out of sorts they're not going to look to push the pace it is a Georgetown offense that has really been held down as well 70 points or fewer in each other last four games and I do sense the defense getting a tad bit better they've given
given up 76 or fewer in two other last four games. They played against St. John, so that threw things off a little bit, but I think that Georgetown going to be able to hold up. I certainly think that shooting is going to be a little bit warmer this time around, but can only set my total at 145.5 still. I do think that this is still going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. I'm going to be willing to take the under in this spot, and with Georgetown, willing to take 18 or more with them. 695, 696 on the betting board. Grand Canyon, it's a road face off against Southern Utah. Southern Utah is a 5.5 point favorite, and your total, it is between 150.5 and 151, and for Southern Utah, I did set them as a 5.5 point favorite. This is one of these ordeals where on the current number that I'm seeing, I'm going to be waiting on a little bit of a line move. We did see this open up a little bit earlier in the day with seeing a few fives out there, and if we do get down to a five, that would be my buy point on Southern Utah, but it's been very interesting to gauge this Grand Canyon team. Grand Canyon not playing at a very fast pace. They've been giving up a whole heck of a lot more points recently. 69 plus, given up in 10 out of their last 13 games, and this Grand Canyon team has played over 70% of their games the over this season, but not because they're just absolutely pushing pace. They're in 60th in the country. In terms of total possessions per game, you know who is pushing pace, though? Southern Utah. They're 10th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and for the Southern Utah team, they've been able to do a nice job of being able to manhandle the class, as you've got so many guys that are able to give you 6-plus rebounds per game. Harrison Butler, along with Mason Fawcett, have been able to combine for 13.5 rebounds, 22.8 points per game, and Fawcett has a 6-6 combo player, shoots 38.5% from 3-point range. Southern Utah also has Jason Spurgeon, who's able to give you 9.5 points, 5.5 boards, a little bit of a block per game, and then you got Mr. Do It All in Tavion Jones. 18 points, 4.4 rebounds per game, but you take a look on the flip side at Rayshon Harrison, and he has been so consistent for this Grand Canyon team. In the games that they have played against D1 competition, because they played a random non-D1 game of which they really didn't play him at all, he has gotten to at least 16 points, and now 16 of the team's last 18 games, he's been able to do a nice job coming in from Presbyterian with 17 points per contest. Doesn't necessarily shoot it tremendously from three-point range at around 31%. Grand Canyon as a whole, though, they do shoot 37% from three-point range. As you've had Noah Bauman, Chance McMillan combined to shoot about 43% from distance, 18 points, about six and a half rebounds per game. Uh, those two guys in Gabe McLaughlin, I think is going to be able to do a solid job in this game. Eight rebounds per game. Ivan Odriogo also gives you five points, five and a half boards. A little bit more of a shot blocker and more of a guy that stays home down low guy. But with Grand Canyon, defense has certainly been going on this team a little bit to say the least. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, Grand Canyon now finds themselves outside the top 125 as they're currently clocking in 131st. Meanwhile, you've got a Southern Utah team that has never really been supreme with their defense, but they've never been truly awful with their defense. 164th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. So, interesting ordeal. I do think that Grand Canyon is going to be able to slow down a little bit more, be able to get a tad bit more of their style as it is a Grand Canyon team that comes in having given up 65 points or fewer in each other last two games. So that's a little bit of something. Meanwhile, Southern Utah, they've given up 71 or fewer in three other last five games. I did set my total at 145 and a half. I'm going to be willing to dive under with Southern Utah. Want to lay up to five with them, six or more. My buy point on Grand Canyon, 697, 698 on the betting board. Rhode Island is going to be in the road face off against Loyola of Chicago. Loyola of Chicago is a favorite of three and a half to four points in your total. It is between 134 and a half and 135. Loyola Chicago has been one of the bigger fades in all of college basketball, but this is one of these ordeals where I'm going to be one to back them because Rhode Island becomes even more of a bigger fade without Brayon Freeman. I made my line six. Brayon Freeman out of the fold for Rhode Island has caused very, very bad news for this team as in regulation because they did play a game against George Washington in overtime. So in regulation only, they have scored 71 points or fewer in all four games ever since he has left the fold and 
For Rhode Island, you've pretty much got a big three now. Ishmael again has been able to give you 16.5 points, six board shoots, 34.5 for seven for three. Jalen Carey, along with Malik Martin, are combining for 11.5 rebounds, 18 points per game. They both give you seal per contest. And look at does give you 1.3 seals per game. Martin shoots 31% from three, but for Rhode Island, they should have collected 30.6% from three. Freeman was one of their better three-point shooters. They turned the ball over 14.3 times for contest as a team that is really not looking to push a ton of pace. It's not like they're super slow at 118th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but not terrific there. Now it's a loyal Chicago team that this is not the loyal Chicago that we're used to seeing. They've kicked up their tempo a little bit more ever since Porter Mosier has left the system 218th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but for loyal Chicago, 262nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and their undoing has been turnovers as well. Loyal Chicago right now turning the ball over 15.3 times per game. They've been a little bit better here in conference play. It's a big reason why they've been able to cover some spreads recently, but you don't have a single guy other than Philip Olsen that gives you north of 4.3 rebounds per game, and other than Thomas Walsh, who gives you those 4.3 rebounds per game, other than those two guys, nobody else that gives you north of 4 rebounds per game, but for Olsen, he does give you 14.5 points per game, and for Loyal Chicago, out of your top four scores, three of them do shoot at least 36.5% from three-point range. Marquise Kennedy gives you a steal, shoots for about 36.5%, three-point shooting, eight points per game. Braden Norris, 11 points, four assists per contest. He's not necessarily the crux of the reason why you've seen a lot of turnovers with Loyal Chicago. And for Loyal Chicago, defense has been a little bit better recently. They've given up 71 points or fewer in far of their last five games. Just been a case where the offense has been held to 71 or fewer in each of their last five games. For Rhode Island, offense has not really been there. The defense, I mean, I'm not going to say that it's terrible. I'm not going to say that it's great. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, it's a Rhode Island bunch that's currently clocking in 124th, but it's actually giving up about 2.5 points fewer per 100 possessions when they leave home, so I do think that this is going to be more of a defense-oriented game. Semi-total 132, diving under. Rhode Island does not look like the same team without Freeman. I think that Loyal Chicago takes advantage. Said Loyal Chicago, as a favorite of 6 points, going to be willing to lay the number, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under as well. 699-700 on the betting board. Northwestern plays us to Penn State, and Penn State is an underdog of 3 points with your total between 134 and 134 and a half, and I'm going to make this one the DK Nation pick as I'm riding with Northwestern in this spot. Set Northwestern as a six-point favorite. You've got a pair of teams that they have some similarities to them, but you've got some big giant differences in terms of actual gameplay. Both of these teams are slower tempo teams outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game. Both of these teams do not have dominant big men, but got a Northwestern team that's really looking to hang their hat on defense. You've got a Penn State bunch that they're really looking to generate everything on offense. And for Penn State, this is a bunch that ranks in the top 10 nationally in terms of three-point shooting percentage. And Jalen Pickett really deserves recognition as perhaps an All-American candidate. He's been just supplying it all season long, right around 7.5 boards and nearly 7 assists, 17.5 points per game. Shoots in the high 30s from three-point range for a Penn State team that overall shoots about 39, 39.5% from three-point range, including 36.3% from the outside when they're in a roadside shoot record environment. You do have a Northwestern team, though, that is 23rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Penn State, number one in the country in terms of fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis. Northwestern, they generate a turnover on 21.1% of possessions. That ranks 33rd nationally, so it's a good old situation of something's got to give. Now, you've got a Penn State team that they just don't hit the glass 
at all. Cuba Njai has been able to give you a few rebounds down low, but that's been about it. And it is a Penn State team that they are third worst in all of college basketball in terms of getting an offensive rebound on their misses when they are away from home. Northwestern, I mean, they're right around 200th in the country in terms of rebound rate. Not like they're great, but they do have a little bit of advantage there. Matt Nicholson has been able to do an okay job down low for the team as he's giving you right around five and a half rebounds per game. Bubui, Chase Odish, these guys have been rock solid for Northwestern, combining for in that pocket about 32 points per game. OD shoots 34% per three, and Northwestern, not quite the same three-point shooting team as Penn State. They shoot 32% per three, but they're similar in the way that they take care of the ball. Only about 9.9 turnovers per game. You have quite a bit more depth, in my opinion, with Northwestern. Having someone like a Robbie Barron chip in there, eight points, four and a half rebounds per game. You get a steal and a half, eight and a half points per game out of Ty Berry as well. On the flip side for Penn State, you've been able to have the Funk and Andrew Funk be able to team up with Seth Lundy. These two guys give you a combined 26 points per game. Lundy gives you six boards per contest, and you've got a pair of guys that both shoot above 40% per three, but those home and road splits are very big. Northwestern allows opponents to shoot north of 37% per three away from home. At home, that's down to 31.8%. Northwestern has won and covered each other last three games at home. On the road, it's been a little bit more rough, but Northwestern has been doing a great job with their defense all season. 66 points a few surrendered in four of their last five games. You've got a Penn State team that has been all over the place in terms of their defense. So they have given up 71 or fewer themselves in four of their last five games. I do think that this is going to be a game that's a little bit more buttoned up. I did set my total 134, so 134.5 is my buy point on the under, but the DK Nation pick, I think Northwestern wins from within. I think they do a good job of forcing just a few turnovers on Penn State, which will be the difference in this game. DK Nation pick is Northwestern, made them a six-point favorite, so laying the three and taking a look at the under. 701, 702 on the betting board. Missouri hits the road face off against LSU. LSU is a four and a half to a five-point underdog. In your total, it is between 148.5 and 149, and with Missouri, I did set them as a favorite of five and a half points. I'm not willing to lay much more than the four and a half to five, but going to be willing to lay this number is a Missouri team that is leaving a lot to be desired with their defense. I wish I could put it any other way, but this team is outside of the top 220 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis as it's a little bit of an all-or-nothing steal team. In terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, Missouri is a top 15 team in the country as they're able to generate north of 10.5 steals per game. They are going up against an LSU bunch that has been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Trey Hannibal. He should be out there along Justice Hill. Maybe they able to combine for about 5.5 assists per game. LSU, they themselves are able to generate about seven seals per game, but they turn the ball for 12 and a half times per game. KJ Williams, he's their best cog, 17 points, 7.3 boards, shoots 42% from three for LSU as a 6 foot 10 combo player, but I think that Kobe Brown matches up really well with 16 points, six boards, two and a half assists. He's at six foot eight, 250, able to drain 46% of his threes, and it's a Missouri team that I think just a little bit more of an advanced form of LSU the last time these two teams played. It was 87 to 77. Missouri got it done. They shot 13 of 27 in that game. I don't think that you were going to be seeing quite the same thing. I also don't think that Derek Fountain goes for 11 points at 11 boards like he did the first time around as well. LSU probably has a little bit of an advantage on though Fountain giving you eight points, five and a half rebounds per game. But it is an LSU team that just hasn't gotten a lot of three point shooting out of Allen Miller, 11 and a half points. Shoots about 31% from the outside. With Missouri, you've got pieces upon pieces in the backcourt. Demoy Hoge, DeAndre Golson. These two guys have been able to do a nice job of being able to flow the offense. Golson, 10 points, right around two assists per contest. Hoge, two and a half steals. Shoots 40% for three with his 14 points per game. Nick Honor, Noah Carter, these guys combined for 17.5 points per game. Missouri's able to go 9 to 10 deep, even with Isaiah Mosley being out of the fold. You've got so many guys from Missouri with active hands. I do think that LSU, just having someone that is very similar to Kobe Brown, just leads to a little bit of a rough matchup here 
for LSU. And I do think that Missouri just is a better form of LSU. And they're going to be able to do what they did the first time around, be able to get a rather convincing win in a game that should be a little bit more up-tempo. I don't think that... We're going to see Missouri go into quite the flamethrower mode that they did from three the first time around. But I did set my total of 149.5. I'm going to be one to go over with Missouri. Made them a 5.5 point favorite, so one to lay 4.5 to 5. 7.03, on the betting board. TCU plays those to Texas. Texas is back to being an underdog of 2 to 2.5 points. Your total, it is between 149 and 149.5. With TCU, I did set them as a 3-point favorite. Here at 2 to 2.5, really the max I'm willing to lay, but I'm going to be willing to lay the number last time these two teams played. You had TCU have a nice halftime lead on Texas. Texas was able to come back. They won that game in the second half, and both of these teams are playing at a rather brisk pace. Both of these teams in the top 60 in terms of total possessions per game. Mike Miles, he is the X factor for this TCU team. He is back 18 points, a little bit over a seal per game. Shoots 34% from three for a TCU team that, as a whole, they only shoot about 29% from the outside, but you do have Emmanuel Miller. He's able to shoot 44% from three point range, is able to supply about 13 points, six half boards per game, and for TCU, they do have a good facilitator in Damian Baugh. He's been able to give you six assists, not a great three point tier, but is able to give you 12.5 points per contest. Eddie Lampkin does a great job down low, and that's where I think that TCU is good be able to exploit this Texas team. Texas has one player that gives you north of 4.3 rebounds per game. That'd be Timmy Allen, who does a very good job with his versatility. 11 points, 5.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists, a steal per game, and then you've had Sir Jabari Rice really step up to be able to help out Marcus Carr. Marcus Carr is your main shooter, making 38% of his threes, 4 assists, 17 points per game, great creator on offense, but how about what Sir Jabari Rice has done for this team? Being able to contribute at least 12 points in now 8 of the team's last 10 games, so I do think that he's going to be playing a big role in this one, but just the overall offensive rebounding that you've got with TCU, I think is going to be able to win out. Dylan Jones has been able to do an okay job for Texas being able to contribute as well, but it was expecting a little bit more out of guys like Dylan DeSue. So this is a circumstance where I did make TCU a three-point favorite. This team has been one of the top defenses in all of college basketball. And to the credit of Texas, they really lost their way when they were playing more up-tempo, when you had the Chris Beard parting of ways. They've been able to now regroup, become 46th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But this TCU team, they're 26th in the country. They're allowing about 15.4 points fewer per 100 possessions when they are at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment. So I do think that this is going to be a game that's going to be a little bit more bottled up than the first time around. First time these two teams played, both teams were able to get past 75. Don't expect that to be the case in this one. I did set my line at a three, so I'm going to be willing to take the two and a half with TCU, willing to lay it, and set my total 144, also diving under. Seven to five, seven to six on the betting board, two lane. It's a red face off against East Carolina. East Carolina is an underdog of six and a half points with your total between 153 and a half and 154 for East Carolina. I did set them as an underdog of seven and a half points. I'm going to be willing to lay it with two lane. Tulane, one of the worst teams in the country at being able to get second chances, but they do everything else in terms of discipline really well. It's a Tulane team that is one of the best free throw shooting teams in all of college basketball. They're a top 15 team in terms of fewest turnovers on a per possession basis, and they've got the Jalen, Jalen Cook, Jalen Forbes. These two guys combined for 39.2 points per game. Cook is able to give you five assists per game. He shoots 35.5% from three. Forbes shoots 37.5% from three. And all three of your top scorers for Tulane shoot at least 83.7%. The free throw line has a collective. They shoot 79% at the charity stripe. Tulane, they're looking to push tempo. They're a top eight team in the country in terms of total possessions. Brain. East Carolina, a mid-tempo team that has been looking to persevere without Javon Small, their top scorer. They've got Brandon Johnson, who's been able to supply 12.5 points, eight boards. Shoots 35% from 
three-par range overall. East Carolina shooting about 31.7% from the outside. They've been turning the ball over about 13 times per game. You've been able to get a little bit more recently down low out of Ezra Usar who's a freshman contributing 9 points, 5 rebounds per game. He's been really helping fill the void down low. He had a combined 27 rebounds in his stretch in early February in games against Cincinnati and SMU, but they... East Carolina team has been looking for answers without Javon Small. They really don't have a lot of creators on offense, and this is a Tulane bunch that I do think is going to be able to overtake this game with Tulane. You've also been able to do a solid job down low with Kevin Cross being able to give you six rebounds, 15 points per contest. He and Sion James combined for about 7.5 assists per game, and you also have Sion James giving you 2.2 steals, 35% three-point shooting on 10.5 points per game. Colin Hallway is able to shoot 37% from distance. Tulane doesn't necessarily have the world's greatest depth, but they do have guys that are able to contribute. I just don't think that East Carolina is going to be able to do their part with regards to the total. It is a Tulane team that very much has been going very offense-oriented. They did have that game against Houston where they got tied down on offense, but squad that has been able to get to at least 76 points in now five out of their last six games. But for East Carolina... How about them having 70 points or fewer in each of their last three games? It has been a defense that certainly has been obliging and giving up a bunch of points. They've given up north of 70 points in four out of their last five games, but I just don't think that you have enough in the backcourt for East Carolina to be able to get this total over East Carolina. They're currently ranked 183rd in the country. turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, so I do think that Tulane is going to be able to get their 75-plus. I don't think East Carolina does so, so I set my total at a 151.5 diving under with Tulane. Made them a 7.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. 707-708 on the betting board. Utah Tech is going to be playing us to Seattle. Seattle is an underdog of two points, and your total, it is 147 to 148.5. With Seattle, I made them a one-point favorite. I'm going to be digging them outright on the money line. The one concern I do have with this Seattle team is the fact that they do have to travel from the great state of Washington, and they're going to be having to go to the great state of Utah, but I do think that this is a relatively solid matchup for Seattle. They go up against a Utah Tech team that is a little bit more up-tempo. Utah Tech has been really looking to push tempo, but they rank now in the bottom runner in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Utah Tech right around 77th in terms of total possessions per game. Seattle is relatively in that neighborhood as well, so they're going to be feeling right at home. 84th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Cameron Gooden has been a great three-point shooter for Utah Tech all season long. He and Isaiah Pope combined for 28.9 points. Both guys shoot between 41.4 and 41.5% from three. They combined for six assists per game, but they've only got one guy for Utah Tech that gives you north of 4.1 rebounds per game. Tanner Christensen comes in from Idaho, 9.9 points, seven boards. You have Jacob Nichols who shoots 53.2% from three-point range. He's shooting 56.5% from the outside at home. I do think that we're going to see a little bit of regression there. And then for Seattle, how about Cam Tyson? 18.5 points, walking bucket, shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range, but runs the Seattle offense. Only turns the ball over about 12 times for contest. Utah Tech, they're hovering more around 15 turnovers per game. You've got good rebounding by committee for Seattle as well. You don't have a single guy that gives you north of 5.6 rebounds per game, but you've got five different guys that give you at least four rebounds per game and eight, count them, eight guys that do supply at least 3.3 rebounds per contest. Emeka Odeni, Brandon Chatfield, they've been able to combine for about 10 boards per contest. Odeni, only about 4 points per game, but he also throws in their 2.3 assists per game. Alex Schumacher, right around 12.5 points per contest. It's a light shooting Seattle team at 31.6% from 3-point range, but while Utah Tech has been flailing with their defense, 
The Seattle team has been able to do a very rock-solid job with their 66th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I do think that Seattle is going to be able to step up with that defense. They have given up 71 points or fewer in four of their last five games. Last time these two teams played, Seattle had just enough offense to be able to get by 75-71. to 71. They won that game despite the fact that Utah Tech won 13 of 28 from three. Now Seattle, they themselves went 11 of 25 from three. I think that both teams... We're going to have a little bit of a tougher time throwing the ball in the basket. Also, do expect the 33 turnovers that we saw the first time around to be a little bit lower as well. But I do think that Utah Tech loses that turnover battle. I think that Seattle, by committee, is able to win the battle on glass and win this game. Since Seattle is a one-point favorite, taking them outright on the money line. Did sell my total at 145, so I'm also going to be diving under. 709, 710 on the betting board. You've got Gonzaga playing us in Chicago State. Chicago State is a 27.5 point underdog, and your total is between 151 and 151.5. Such an intriguing non-conference game, and it is one where I'm going to be digging the points. I did set Gonzaga as just a 25-point favorite. It's a Chicago State team that they've got the ultimate motivation. They are competing to try to get into another conference. This is going to be a paycheck for them, but no doubt about it, it's a way for these guys to show that they belong in a conference like the MEAC, the Big South. Insert your conference here as Wesley Carter, Jay Sean Corbett. Both of these guys have been very good for Chicago State. Carter, 16.8 points, 5.3 boards. A former top 150 recruit that shoots 36% from three. Elijah Weaver actually began his career at USC. Shoots 36% from the outside. Three and a half assists, four boards, 12 points per game. And for Chicago State, each of your top four scores do give you at least four rebounds per game. Only one guy that gives you north of 5.3, and that would be Corbett, who I mentioned before, 13.8 points, 8.9 boards. Chicago State certainly leaving something to be desired on defense. Now, Chicago State has really throttled down. They're in the bottom 100 in terms of possessions per game nationally, but they are 3 and 4th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Guess who's been allowing a lot of points as well? Gonzaga is 191st in the country with this regard as well. Drew Timmy, terrible pick-and-roll defender, tremendous pick-and-roll offensive player, and a tremendous offensive scorer. 21 points, 7.5 boards, giving out 3 assists per game. And then you got Rajir Bolton out in the backcourt along Julian Strother, shooting a well from 3, Bolton 10.5 points, shoots 38.5% from 3, 43% 3-point shooting on 15.5 points, 6.3 boards on to Strother. Anton Watson has really been able to up his game as well. He's now been able to supply the team with the least nine points for the last five games. Not a great three-point shooter, but has been the only guy that's been able to generate seals for Gonzaga right around two per contest. Malachi Smith is coming to his own as well for Gonzaga. I think that they're going to be experimenting with a little bit of offense. I think that Chicago State, a team that has been able to score at least 75 points at each of their last three games, granted some of it against non-D1 competition. I do think that they are going to be able to have themselves a nice night on offense. I think that Gonzaga certainly going to look to put on a show for the fans. I do think that Chicago State, a team that's really looking to make an impression on other conferences, are looking to bring in another member. They're going to do enough to be able to cover the summer. Set my line at 25. I'm going to be taking the points with Chicago State. Made my total 155. Also looking over. 7-11, sub-12 on the bidding board. Cal Baptist plays OCUT Rio Grand Valley. Grand Valley is a underdog of 9.5 points. Your total is anywhere between 147 and 148. I set Cal Baptist as a favorite of 10 points. 9.5 is the max I'm going to be willing to lay, but I'm going to be willing to lay the number. It's a UT Rio Grande Valley team that has been all over the place in terms of their tempo. Overall for the season, a top 20 team in terms of possessions per game. They really slowed things down in January, but here in the month of February and into early February, they were playing a little bit slower as well, but here in their last three games, they have been bumping up the tempo once again as 
Now they've scored north of 75 points in each of their last four games. So UT Rio Grande Valley looks to be getting back to one they know and love, playing super-duper fast and turning the ball over a lot. 16 and after an per contest for this Grand Valley team. They do shoot 34% from three, and they've got someone in Mr. Justin Johnson who's able to give you 21 points, five and a half boards, three assists. He's been a nice statue suffer for this team. Demas Zador, Alante Aaron Freeman have been able to give you about 10 and a half rebounds per game, but let's call it what it is. This is a UT Rio Grande Valley team that has no interest whatsoever in playing defense, and this is a Cal Baptist team that ranks in the bottom 75 in terms of possessions per game. Cal Baptist has ranked 90th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They are dealing with an injury to Timmy Ogahove, who comes in from Georgetown. He's been more of a defensive-oriented shot blocker for this team, not a guy that gives you a lot on offense. Meanwhile, you've got more big men like Hunter Goodrick, who's been able to give you 9.7 boards, but has been shooting 46% from three-point range. Cal Baptist does a nice job of being able to control the ball. They're only turning the ball for about 11.5 times per game, but... Guys that were very good shooters at their previous stop. It feels like they're just thrown off by how slowly this team has been playing. Like, Joe Kitana last year shot north of 40% from three at Loyal Marymount. Shooting 28% from three with 8.5 points per game this season. Blondo Chiquenio shooting 25% from three after he was awesome. And New Hampshire a season ago. Now, they do have Taron Armstrong. He's able to go off for a triple-double on any given night. 11 points, 4.5 boards, 4.8 assists per game. Love what he's able to bring to the table. And Riley Ben has been betting down the hatches 9.5 points, five and a half boards per game, and going up against a UT Rio Grande Valley team that is 301st in the country, turns white slot on a purpose-edge basis, that should be all about this Cal Baptist team, but it's a good old situation of something's got to give. You've got a Cal Baptist team that has really been looking to play super-duper slowly against D1 competition because they had a few games against non-D1 teams thrown in there. This has been a bunch that has failed to get past 60 points in three other last five games. You've got a UT Rio Grande Valley team that's looking to play super-duper fast. I do think that we're going to get something to what we saw the first time around. If you take a look at what happened when these two teams played in very late January, Grand Valley won that game by a count of 64-58 to 58 on the night where Cal Baptist shot 522 from three-point range. It was a very slow, very controlled game. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more up-tempo this time around, but at the same time, I certainly do think that this is going to be an ordeal where Cal Baptists, they are going to be able to dictate sort of what they want in this game. I do think that they win from within a semi-total at a 144 diving under, and I do think that Cal Baptist gets their revenge, set them as a 10-point favor. One delay with Cal Baptist and taking a look at the under. Sub-13, sub-14 on the betting board. UNLV, they're going to be playing out to Utah State. Utah State is a favorite of two points, and your total is between 147 and 148 with Utah State. I did set them as a favorite of four points. I'm going to be willing to lay the deuce with Utah State. They are a top-five team in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage, and they do go up against a UNLV team that is ranked in the top-five nationally in terms of turnovers forced on a per-game basis, but the UNLV, they've been dealing with a few injuries of their own as Luis Rodriguez has been missing the last few games due to injury. Nice that he'd suffer with 11 points, right around five and a half rebounds per game. EJ Harkless has been really the guy having to do it all for this team. 18 and a half points, five boards, 3.3 assists per game, and then Kishan Gilbert, really your guy from the outside, along with another ancillary scorer, Justin Webster. Webster shoots 47 and a half percent from three, gives you uh, eight points per game. Gilbert, 12 points, four boards, three and a half assists, 1.9 seals. 
steals on his 38% three-point shooting. But for UNLV, a defense that was in the top 40 nationally at one point out of conference, they have really fallen off the map. They're down to 84th nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Still doing better overall for the season than Utah State's defense, but Utah State, 146th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they've been able to do a very nice job recently with their rebounding. Dan Aiken has been able to do a good job giving you seven rebounds per game. You've got the funk in Taylor Funk, 13.5 points, 5.5 boards. He's been shooting 37.5% from three-point range. All in all, Utah State shoots 40% from three-point range. As a collective, Steve Ashworth, he's giving you 4.5 assists, 44.7% three-point shooter with 16 points per game on volume. Max Shulga chips in there, 4 assists per game. There's just too many weapons for this Utah State team, and UNLV has been so incredibly inconsistent. David Bowoka, when he's been out there, he's been relatively solid in the post, but I signed these two teams play. It was 75-71 to 71 in that game. Utah State, they lost a turnover battle 21-11, to 11, and they still won the game. They were still able to win down low. I do think that with having the injury to Luis Rodriguez, UNLV is going to have a little bit more of a tough time being able to generate turnovers. UNLV has scored 71 points or fewer in each of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Utah State team that last time they gave up north of 70 points in a game. You have to go all the way back to February 4th. Five straight games for them. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a tame game, and I do think that Utah State is going to take better care of the ball. Semi-12, 146, 5 and under, and I'm going to lay with Utah State. Set them as a four-point favorite. Now we go to the Ohio Valley Conference Tournament. This is going to be from the Ford Center out there in the great state of Indiana. 715, 716, Southeast Missouri State and Lindenwood do battle. Southeast Missouri State, a 5 to 5 and a half point favorite. Your total is anywhere between 147 and 147 and a half. I said Southeast Missouri State as a favorite of six and a half points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. For Lindenwood, they've been a little bit more controlled here in conference play, but still a team that ranks outside the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis for Southeast Missouri State. They've dealt with the injury to their top rebounder in Kobe Clark, but the guy that has really been able to step up is Josh Early. Early has been able to give you up seven and a half points, four and a half rebounds per contest. Not necessarily a guy that's going to give you a bunch of block shots or anything like that, but comes in having given the team at least four rebounds in six of the team's last seven games. Not much of a score. That's why you've got Philip Russell in the back, where Russell is going to be the best score out there on the floor. 18 points, steal and a half per game. Shoots 35.5% from three-point range with both of these teams. Certainly, they leave something to be desired, and it's all about tempo with regards to what is going to be able to win out because Southeast Missouri State, a top 30 team in terms of total possessions per game. You've got a Lindenwood team that is more of a mid-tempo team just above the top 150 in terms of total possessions per game. And for Lindenwood, they do a good job of being able to rebound by a committee as you've got essentially four different guys that give you at least 3.7 rebounds per game. You've had Cam Burrell along Keenan Cole combined for about 11.5 rebounds per game, 24 points between the two of them. And Cole, they shoot 47% for three. I don't know. Lindenwood does shoot 36.5% from the outside, but they turn the ball over 13 times per game. Calvin Caldwell Jr., Chris Childs, they've been able to combine for 25.5 points, a little bit over seven boards. Caldwell is able to give you about 1.3 seals per game, but Lindenwood does not do a good job with their defensive pressure for Southeast Missouri State. Their offense comes in hot, scoring at least 78 points in each other last four games. Meanwhile, you've got a Lindenwood bunch that they played that double overtime game against Southeast Missouri State about a week or so ago. That was a game where Southeast Missouri State 
Got up north of 20 points in that game. Completely blew it. You got to wonder how both teams respond in that one. Southeast Missouri State on that night shots. Just 6 of 25 from 3. 22 of 36 from the charity stripe. While Lindenwood was 8 of 17. I do think the things are going to iron out. I do think that Southeast Missouri State going to be able to get their revenge. I set this line at 6.5. Don't think that things are going to be quite as harebrained. I did set my total at a 146.5. I do think that the neutral court environment is going to bog down shooting just a little bit more. I do think that Southeast Missouri State has a bit more in the backcourt to be able to get it done. Looking at the under, and I'm willing to lay it with Southeast Missouri State. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games. This is 717, 718. Southern Indiana hits the road face off against SIU Edwardsville. Edwardsville is a... Uh, favorite of two points in your total. It is 151 and a half to 152. I said Southern Indiana is the one point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them out right on the money line. This is going to be a game that's played in Evansville, Indiana. Very close to the campus of Southern Indiana and for Southern Indiana they're going to be able to win the battle down low. Jacob Polakovich has been averaging 12.8 points, 12.8 boards. The rebounds per game number three in the country and the last time these two teams faced off on January 21st, Polakovich led his team to victory with 23 Count them, 23 rebounds in that game. Since Christmas, Jacob Polakovich has given you at least 10 rebounds in all but two of those games. Southern Indiana as a collective. They shoot 38.2% from three-point range with Isaac Swope, along Jelani Simmons, combined for 29.5 points. They combined to shoot about 40% from three. Trevor Lakes gives you 5.5 boards, 13 points. He's been shooting 42% from three-point range for SIU Edwardsville. They were a team that was really built on defense towards the beginning part of the season, and it's a defense that has flailed. They're still in the top 175 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they've given up at least 78 points in each other last five games. Now, it is an offense that has gotten to at least 73 in each other last five as well. You've got the Wright brothers and Shamar and Lamar Wright combined for about 18.5 points per contest. Lamar Wright shoots 39.5% from three-point range, but all in all, Edwardsville, they shoot about 32.5% for distance. They turn the ball over 13 times per game. Southern Indiana does have their turnover wolves as well, nearly 14 per contest, but... I do take a look at Southern Indiana, very much relying on Deshaun Pruitt. Down low, 11.5 points, 8.5 rebounds per game. He should be able to do a solid job against Polakovic, but we saw it the last time around. Polakovic had north of 20 rebounds in that game. I don't think it's going to be quite as monstrative. Rayshon Taylor is able to give you 15.5 points per game, but I do think that this is going to be a rough spot for SIU Edwardsville. They come in in really bad form, and I think that Southern Indiana, in their first year at the D1 level, Playing in front of what should be a good crowd for them is going to be able to get it done. I do think that the defense is going to be a little bit better in this spot. That's what was really the bread and butter for Edwardsville towards the beginning part of the season. It is a Southern Indiana team that comes in having scored at least 79 points in each other last four games. So I do think that the neutral court environment is going to bog things down a little bit more. So I did set my line at one with Southern Indiana being the favorite, taking them out right on the money line. Made my total 147, also diving under. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-549, Nichols is going to be playing as a Lamar. Lamar is a 14.5 to a 15-point underdog with your total 147.5 to 148.5. Could I send Nichols as a 13.5-point favorite? Going to be taking the points with Lamar. Lamar has not been a terrific team all season long, but... I like the way that they have been coming along towards the back half of the season. You've got Nate Calmezzi, who's been able to supply 17.5 points per game. Someone that shoots 37.5% for three for a Lamar team that they do turn the ball for 14 times per game. And Nichols, their lifeblood is being able to generate turnovers. They've been able to get about 9.7 seals per game. And Manny Littles giving you 7 rebounds per game. He should be able to do a good job down low and should be able to win that battle. But for Nichols, they're a little bit of an all or 
or nothing Steals team and that if they don't generate that steal, they don't defend on the flip side, 229th of the country in terms of points slot on a per-possession basis. They are giving up 15.5 points fewer per 100 possessions at home, and you do have Caleb Huffman along with Latrell Jones, who will be able to combine for 31 points per game. Huffman shooting 41.5% from three-part range, but you two, Yamanachi Williams, is able to supply about seven rebounds per game down low, and then you've been able to get about 10.5 points out of Chris Pryor. Pryor has done a nice job doling out 3.8 assists per game, shooting 37% from three-point range. This team has been dealing with the injury all season long to Adam Hamilton, and Yamanaji Williams has been able to do a nice job of helping this team out. Jason Thirdkill, a freshman, has been able to give the team a little bit of contribution when he's been out there as well. Lamar certainly ailing with their defense right now, 75-plus points surrendered in each other their last four games. Nichols, though, they've been all over the place with regards to their offense as it's a defense that they themselves have given up at least 72 points in far of their last five games. And last time these two teams match up, Nichols, they got stunned a little bit by Lamar. Lamar was able to rise up. They were able to get the job done 69 to 66. I certainly don't think we're going to be seeing a replay of that as Nichols in that game went 7 to 33 from three. And Lamar went three of five from three point range. But that said, I think that this is a little bit too demonstrative. Did some I told 143 and a half. I'm going to be willing to dive under Nichols. Has been a little bit all over the place with their offense. And Lamar is more of a mid tempo team. So looking at the under and the points with Lamar, three of six, 551, three of six, 552. Houston Christian plays us to Southeast Louisiana. Southeast Louisiana is a favorite of three and a half points with your total between 161 and a half and 162. And for Southeast Louisiana, I did make them a favorite of four points. I'm going to be one to lay the three and a half. Southeast Louisiana, by the way, is playing right around 68% of their games to the over. Been a team that has been really getting after it as they have scored at least 76 points in each of their last five games. Benefited by a pair of overtime games. And for Houston Christian, this team has just been completely terrible with their defense. You've got 363 D1 teams. And guess where Houston Christian is? They're in 63rd in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. So they have been able to get a few wins recently. Three wins in their last five games. Bryson Long along with Max Klunzic in the backcourt are combining for a little bit over 30 points per contest, two and a half assists. And it's a Houston Christian team that they shoot about 36.5% from three-point range. you got a pair of teams that rank in the top 75 in terms of total possessions per game. As a matter of fact, much above that, both of these teams are just looking to gun it. And for Klunzic, he comes in from Maine and... He has been maining opponents recently as he has gotten to at least 20 points in now each out of the last seven games. He has been able to emerge with this offense. You don't necessarily have a ton down low when it comes to Houston Christians, but Bonke Matting has been able to give you 13.5 points, 6 rebounds per game. Sam Hoffman is able to give you about 6.5 rebounds per game as well. And then Brody Woodbury has been able to do a solid job on the flip side for Southeast Louisiana, 8.5 points, right around 5.5 boards. Southeast Louisiana shoots 36.5% for three parings, only turning the ball for 12 times per game with Boogie Anderson, Roger McFarlane combining for about 26.5 points per game. McFarlane shoots 40.5% from three parings range. Southeast Louisiana, I do think it's going to be able to take hold with their offense, and I think that this is going to be another game where it's going to be relatively defense optional, especially with Southeast Louisiana, right around 299th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. I do think we went a little bit too far on this one. It doesn't sound like a ton, but Houston Christian has given up 80 points or fewer, and now four out of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Southeast Louisiana team that has given up 81 or fewer in each other last four as well. I think that this should be a total that should be more in the high 150s, semi-total 156. So, diving under uh, Southeast Louisiana. Made my line four. I'm going to be willing to lay the three and a half. 306-553, 306-554. McNeese State is going to be playing us to New Orleans. New Orleans is an underdog of three points with your total between 148 and 148 and a half. 
New Orleans has been the top over team on the betting board since they joined it in the 2018-19 season. And they've got a guy in Jordan Johnson that comes in from Denver, shooting 48.5% from three with 18 points per game and rode in neutral court games this season. But could it be one to lay the three with McNeese set them as a four-point favorite? Johnson has been able to do an amazing job with his scoring for New Orleans, but we've got a New Orleans team that they also turned the ball over 17 and a half times for contest, and we've got no rebounding with this team. Despite the fact that New Orleans is in the top 40 in terms of total possessions per game, Simeon Kirkland, 7.5 points, 5 rebounds per game, is the only guy that gives you north of 5 rebounds per game. McNeese 8 is now outside the top 175 in terms of possessions per game, but they should be able to control things with Christian Schulmate supplying 14 points, 9.5 boards, shoots 35% for 3. Both of these teams are just disastrous with their defense. New Orleans, they've got all those turnovers, and that leads to them being out of your 363 D1 teams, 337th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, while McNeese, they are a whopping 346th with this regard, but for McNeese, you've got Trey English, Zach Scott, who have been able to combine for about 23.5 points per contest. Both of these guys shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range, but English, along with Justin Massey, have been able to combine for a little bit over five assists per game. Harwin Francois so able to shoot 37.5% from the outside of McNeese. They do turn the ball for 14 and a half times per game, but they've been a little bit more disciplined recently in their offense as we able to get going. At least 75 points in four of their last five games. Defense has allowed at least 76 in every one of these games as well. New Orleans, they're running it. They're gunning it. 78 plus points in four of their last five games. No reason to think that either of these teams are going to slow down, but I do think that she will make control things down low. That allows McNeese State to be able to get the coverage that McNeese has a four-point favorite. Want to lay the number seven total 150. It's also going over 306-555-306-556. You've got Northwestern State playing us in Incarnate Word. Incarnate Word is an 11-point underdog, and your total on this game is between 141 and 141 and a half. And with Incarnate Word, I did set them as an underdog of 13 points. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Northwestern State. Northwestern State brings in essentially the Missouri State coaching staff, and they brought with them three guys. And Javante Black, Demarius Sharp, along with Isaac Haney. For DeMarcus Sharp, he has been incredible with 19 points, 5.2 rebounds, 4.9 assists, and he shoots 56% from three overall. At home, this goes to 61.9% from three on 16.5 points per game, coming off of a 40-piece against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Javonta Black, 15.5 points, seal per game, shoots 37% from three, and then Haney chips in there, 2.5 assists, 1.6 seals, 11.5 points per game. Flip side for Incarnate Word, you don't have a single guy on the roster that gives you north of 4.6 rebounds per game, so Jalen Hampton, who's able to give you a little bit over 7 rebounds per game for Northwestern State, should be able to win that battle as Benton Cissé in the backcourt has been solved for Incarnate Word, 2.7 assists, steal and half, shoots 41% from 3 power range, but with Incarnate Word, all their defensive struggles have been just due to the fact that they allow so many second and third chances, because they've got nobody that can grab a stinking rebound for this team. Incarnate Word, 293rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Not to say that Northwestern State is necessarily the 85 Bears, but they're 218th of the country with this regard. Northwestern State giving up about 8.1 points per per one hour possessions at home rather than in a roadside shooting current environment. And to the credit of Carter Ward, they do shoot 35% from three, about 75% as a collective at the free throw line. But they've been dealing with injuries to guys all season long. Someone like an Andre Cruz, who it looked like was going to be a nice player for the team. He's been out for the entirety of the season. Charlie Yoder, he's been out since November as well. So, I mean, it's been a lot of issues. They've had to have guys like Nikki Krause trying to be able to on the boards and for Incarnate Word. Defense is certainly starting to show its worth. 75 plus points surrendered in far of their last five games. It's a Northwestern State team that has been able to do a solid job with their defense. They've given up 
Fewer than 70 points in now three out of their last five games. A Herculean feat in this conference. I did set Northwestern State as a 13-point favorite. Going to be one to lay the number. I think that the just inability of Incarnate Word to be able to grab rebounds, it's going to allow Northwestern State to be able to get those second and third chance points to be able to get this total over. Semi-total 143 going over and one to lay it with Northwestern State. 306557, 306558. Texas A&M Corpus Christi. It's a red face off against Texas A&M Commerce. Commerce is a four to four and a half point home underdog with your total between 146 half and 147 and for Commerce, I said them as a five and a half point underdog. I think that Texas A&M Corpus Christi is right now looking like the class of this conference and they've got the best player up there on the floor in Isaac Mushala. 14 and a half points, nine and a half boards. It's a Corpus Christi team at overall. Shoot 78 and a half percent the free flying top 20 mark in all of college basketball. They shoot 36 and a half percent from three-point range with Corpus Christi. 9.1 steals per game in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're doing what Commerce is looking to do. Corpus Christi, 150th in the country with this regard, only giving up eight-tenths of a point more per 100 possessions when they leave home. Meanwhile, for Texas A&M Commerce, 292nd in the country. Commerce is really the slowest team in this conference, at right around 200th in terms of total possessions per game, and they do have Demarcus Simonio. He's able to do it all. 15.3 points, 5.5 boards per contest, but... This Commerce team turns ball over 13 times per game with their slower style. They only shoot about 31.5% from three-point range. J.J. Romero-Rosario has been able to take off for this team. He had a little bit of a rough start to the season, but now has been able to give the team double figures in all but one of their last nine games. So he's been able to come to the forefront there. He's been able to give the team at least five rebounds. And now seven of the team's last nine games as well. You do have someone like Kamar Williams pairing up with C.J. Roberts for a little bit over 20 points per game, but not a lot of three-point shooting. While Ross Williams on the flip side for Texas A&M Corpus Christi makes 40% of his threes, 9.8 points, right around a seal per contest. Travion Tennyson has been able to give 16 points on 42.5% three-point shooting. You got weapons upon weapons in the backcourt with Corpus Christi and a guy in Mushala who should be able to control the glass. Corpus Christi has been able to get past 75 points in each of the last four games. It's a commerce team that their scoring is up. They've been able to score at least 72 points each out of their last five games, but they have given up at least 70 points at every one of them as well. I do think that this is going to be a game that's going to be played a little bit more up tempo. So I told 147.5 looking over and with Commerce made them a five and a half point underdog. So one to lay the four to four and a half with Corpus Christi. Three is six five fifty nine. Three is six five sixty. I point hopes to not be a low point as they play against Charleston Southern. This is the Big South tournament at Bojangles Coliseum, and this is a spot where high point is a one point favorite, and your total is between 154 and a half and 155 and a half. I did set High Point as a three and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the points with High Point. They certainly were a low point towards the middle of Big South play, but it does feel like they're starting to be able to get back to what made them successful out of conference. They've been able to win three out of their last four games. Squad that has been able to get to at least 69 points in each of their last four contests. And the defense has been better. 70 points are fierce surrendered in four of their last five games. They go up against a Charleston Southern team that has scored 67 points of fear in three out of their last four games. And the lone exception going up against a sad and pathetic Presbyterian team. Talik Chavez for Charleston Southern has been able to give you 11 points per game. Shoot 35% for three. But it is a Charleston Southern team that, along with their bad offense, this team ranks in the bottom 25 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. High point is looking to run and gun at top 35 team in the country. In terms of total possessions, we're aimed Charleston Southern. A little bit of a slower team, but. I don't think that they're going to be able to slow down high point. A team that they themselves are 291st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And for Charleston Southern, Claudel Harris has been able to shoot about 34% from three-point range, 17.5 points per game. Charleston Southern only turns ball over about 11.7 times per game. They shoot 34.7% from three-point range. But high point, they're going to be able to win from within. You've got Zach Austin giving you two blocks, 14 points, five boards per contest. Abdullah Thiam has been able to shoot 36% from the outside, 13.5 points per game. Now, the high point free throw shooting at 62.5%, coupled with 14 turnovers. Game. That's rough, but Jaden Ellis 
being able to supply 17 points, 2.5 assists per game. Brian Randleman being able to give out a little bit over 3 assists per game means that I think that High Point is going to be able to win the battle in the backcourt. And then on top of that, down low, you got Ebenezer, he's a booner, along with Armand Harvey, who are com- able to combine for 13 rebounds per game, with Tajay Kelly trying to hold up with 5.5 rebounds per game. I don't think that he's going to be able to do so. I think that allows High Point to not be at a low point in this spot, be able to get the win and cover. I did set High Point as a favorite of 3.5 points, so I'm going to be willing to lay the number. I think High Point gets their up-tempo style, but I do think that both of these teams are going to have a little bit of a struggle being able to hit shots from the outside, so I told 149.5, so diving under and taking High Point on this very tight line, 306-561, Campbell and Presbyterian do battle at Bojangles Coliseum with Campbell being a 6.5 point favorite totals between 127 and 127.5. I'm willing to take the 6.5 with Presbyterian. Presbyterian has been a disaster. They're in the bottom 50 in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis. Going up against the Campbell team, that ranks in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game. Presbyterian is also a bottom 50 team in terms of total possessions per game, but for Campbell, it sounds like they do a great job on the glass. Jay Powell has been able to give you 11.5 points, 6.9 rebounds per game, and you do get about 5.5 boards, 12 points per game as of Anthony Deloroso. Deloroso has been able to do a nice job recently, being able to supply 16 plus points in four of the last five games for a Campbell team that shoots 33% from three par range. What I do find very interesting about this Campbell team as well, they're actually allowing fewer points per possession when they hit the road rather than at home. It's a Campbell team that overall for the season, 221st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but giving up 1.9 points per one-hour possession sphere when they do leave home, but for Presbyterian, what I think is big for them is having a pair of guys in the backcourt that are able to combine for a little bit over 20 points per game, and Jalen Forrest along with Crosby James, these two guys have been shooting about 31% from three-point range. You've been able to get a little bit of facilitation as well out of Trayvon Reddish-Roan. He was someone that dealt with a little bit of injury last season and the season before, but has been able to do a better job here down the stretch. It combined 34 points in the last two games, so only about four turnovers, which has been an issue, 13 and a half turnovers per game for Presbyterian, but down low, you've been able to get a combined about nine rebounds per game out of Owen McCormick along with Marquise Barnett. Both of these guys have been able to give you a little bit of stretchability as well with the combined two steals out of both of them as well. I think that this is going to be a slow, grimy game. Presbyterian has not been able to exceed the 60-point plateau in their last three games. Last time these two teams played, Campbell was able to get the win by a count of 74 to 59 in that game. Campbell went 7 to 15 from three point range. And Campbell, they had 15 turnovers in this game. I do think that this is going to be another very high turnover game. And I don't think that Campbell is going to shoot from three point range the way that they did the first time around. I'm going to be willing to take the six half with Presbyterian. Did set my total as well at a 126, so I'm going to be diving under. Now we go to the NEC tournament. These are going to be games on home campuses. 306-563, 306-564. Merrimack is going to be playing us to Long Island. Long Island is an underdog of 16 to 16 and a half points. Your total on this game is 132 and a half. And for Long Island, I did set them as an underdog of 17 points. I'm going to be one to lay 16 with Merrimack. The Merry Men have been a top 35 team all season long in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. A top 20 team in terms of turnover scores per possession. Long Island is honestly a top 30 team in terms of total possessions per game. They're a bottom 30 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They turn the ball over 16.3 times per game. A bottom 30 team at being able to take care of the ball. Just not a lot going right for Long Island. Who does have Marco Belichick who's been able to shoot about 39% from three-point range. He's been able to supply 16 points per game, but he's out of the fold for the team, so that means that they're going to be having to rely a lot on Jacob Johnson coupled with Andre Washington. Washington 
has been letting it fly, shooting 34% from three, 11.5 points per game. Johnson is giving you 5.7 boards, 10.5 points per game. Only guy in the roster, though, that gives you north of five rebounds per game. Keon Burns is someone that has been dealing with an injury as well. So this is a Long Island team that they're injured and they're not good to start out with. Meanwhile, with Merrimack, Jordan Miner is going to be very major down low. 9.5 rebounds, 17.5 points per game. Ziggy Reed has been able to give you 13 points per game. Merrimack, they themselves turn the ball for about 14.5 times per game. They're a bottom one team in terms of total possessions per game. I will say, for Merrimack, they've actually played six out of their last nine games to the over. But you take a look at the last time these two teams played. You have to go only back to the weekend. Merrimack on the road won that game by a count of 80-59. to 59. In that game, Merrimack shot 9-24 from three. I think that they're going to be a little bit colder. And Long Island went one of two from three-point range, which I find that to be very intriguing. But Long Island had 24 turnovers in that game. They tried to get their tempo. It did not pan out for them. I do think that as a result, Long Island is going to be going back to the drawing board. They're going to be able to slow this game down. But I don't think that they're going to be able to slow it down to the point that we get a 132.5 under. This is a Long Island team that, at their core, they're just absolutely pathetic on defense, giving up 75-plus points in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Merrimack squad that has gone to at least 67 points in each of their last five. I do think that they're going to take it to Long Island. Somebody told 135 going over with Merrimack. I think that they're a team on a mission to be able to win this tournament, set them as a 17-point favorite, willing to lay the number, and take it a look at the over. 306-565-306-566. Fairleigh Dickinson plays host to St. Francis of New York. St. Francis of New York, an eight-point underdog with your total 142.5 to 143.5. I did semi total 143.5. Going to be willing to go over. It's the St. Francis squad that certainly has been one of your best under teams in all of college basketball. North of 66% of their games have gone under. It's a St. Francis team that certainly had their issues on offense, on defense. We're on 141st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but giving up 10.4 points more per 100 possessions when they do leave home, and they go up against a fairly Dickinson team that is giving up about a point more per 100 possessions at home rather than in a road slash court environment. St. Francis has been dealing with a lot of injuries, most notably to Rob Higgins, who was one of their main facilitators, so that's been rough, but they get back Larry Moreno, who's been able to give you 39% three-point shooting, 9.5 points per contest, and for St. Francis, they've got on top of that Tedrick Wilcox Jr. Long Zion Bethea in the backcourt combining for about 21.5 points per contest. You've had nine points, nine boards out of Josiah Harris, who I do think is going to be able to run things down, though. Fairly Dickinson does not have a single guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. They do a solid job as a collective. You've got a trio of guys and Ansley, Ella Morner, along with Joe Munden Jr., Sean Moore, that all combine for about 14 rebounds per game. Almoner, along with Bundon Jr., been able to combine for 24.5 points per game. Combine shoot 36% from three. And Grant Singleton, shoot 39% from the outside. 14.5 points per game. Damari Roberts, four assists, 17 points per game for a fairly Dickinson team that, despite the fact that they're in the top 100 in terms of total possessions per game, they only turn the ball over about 11.7 times per game. And last time these two teams played, it was 86 to 69. That was back on the weekend as well. Fairly Dickinson had to shoot 12 of 20 to be able to achieve that, though. Overall, from the floor, they shot 56%. I do think that St. Francis. Going to be a little bit better with their defense. They're also getting a little bit more out of DeAndre Howell South, who had 18 points in that game. He's been able to emerge here down the stretch and combine 12 rebounds, 7 assists, 5 steals in the team's last two games with zero turnovers. I do think that this is a little bit too lofty of a line. I think that St. Francis is going to match up a little bit better in a game that I do think is going to involve a tad bit more scoring. I did set my total 143.5 here on 142.5 going over. Seth Fairley Dickinson has a 7.5 point favorite, so we'll take 8 with St. Francis. 306, 567, 306-567-306-568. Francis of Pennsylvania plays those to Central Connecticut. Central Connecticut is a 2.5 to a 3-point underdog with your total 142. I said Central Connecticut 
as an underdog of two points, I'm going to be willing to take the three. St. Francis of Pennsylvania has been just terrible with their defense all season long. Bottom 50 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, Central Connecticut certainly leaving something to be desired. They're clocking in more in the neighborhood of about 234th in the country with this regard, and they do allow 9.8 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home. It's going to be up to Andre Sadi to be able to hold things down down low. 9.5 points, 8.3 rebounds per game. He gets stats with the matching up with Josh Cohn, who has been terrific for St. Francis of PA. 22 points, 8.1 boards, 2.5 assists, a steal, and a block per game coming in, having scored 60 points in the team's last two games. But for St. Francis, they have been dealing with an injury to the backcourt in Landon Moore. Really, your top-scoring guard has been out since mid-January, so Maxwell Landis had to do a little bit of everything. 12.5 points, 5.5 boards, he's 36% from 3 point range. Ryan L. Giles, Brian McCabe, both of these guys have been able to combine to shoot about 37.5% for the outside, 12 points per contest, and combine 2.5 assists per game. Meanwhile, you've got a Central Connecticut team that does have Kellen Amos. He's able to give you 14 points on 35% three-point shooting. DeAndre Sweatman has been shooting 42% from three. Nigel Scantleberry does a good job doing out a little bit over three assists per game. And for Central Connecticut, they've done a good job when games don't go to triple overtime with their defense as in regulation, they have given up 70 points or fewer in each of their last four games. The one exception is when they played against Freddie Dickinson. Meanwhile, you've got a St. Francis of Pennsylvania team that certainly has been giving up the points, 68 plus in four of their last five. I do think that Central Connecticut going to get this game played a little bit more on their terms. It's a St. Francis team that is looking to push tempo quite a bit more. They're ranked right around 170th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Central Connecticut State at 282nd with this regard. I do think that Central Connecticut gets things bogged down, played at their rate. I do think that in the end, Cone is going to be a little bit too much, but I think that Central Connecticut State is going to be able to hold in this game. Semi-total 138, diving under, and won't take the three with Central Connecticut. And wrap things up with 306-569-306-570. Sacred Heart plays us Wagner. Wagner is an underdog of 2 to 2.5 points with your total between 129.5 and 130. And with Wagner, I did set them as an underdog of 2.5 points. I'm going to be willing to lay the deuce with Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart, I think, is going to be able to win this game from within because you've got Brandon Johnson along with Nico Galetti, who have been able to combine for about 15 rebounds. Frame. Johnson is able to give 10 points per contest, and Galetti does it all. 15 and a half points, 1.7 seals a block per contest. Sacred Art only shooting about 31 and a half percent for three. And Sacred Art at the beginning part of the season, they were really looking to run and shoot, play a lot of offense, not necessarily a lot of defense. And Sacred Art still has been a rather up tempo team. They're 65th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but with what they've had down low in this, let's call it what it is, not necessarily a big conference in terms of having a low post presence. They've been able to do a solid job, ranking 144th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Wagner, they've been able to do a relatively rock-solid job themselves, ranking 55th with this regard as well. But Wagner, when they leave home, they have been giving up about 9.7 points more per one iron possession, saying you just don't have a lot of outside shooting with the team, combining to shoot about 31.7% from three among your top six scores. One guy shoots about 30.5% from three-point range. And that would be Mr. 7.3 points per game, Javier Esquera, who's been shooting 33.5% for three. Does give you also three assists per game. And Delani Hunt, your lone double-figure scorer, chips in there 11.5 points, right around three assists per contest. Brandon Brown, only guy on the roster that gives you north of 4.3 rebounds per game. Good versatility, 9.5 points, 9.1 rebounds, 1.9 steals per game. But I do think that in the end, Sacred Heart good to be able to win this game from within. Last time these two teams match up, you do have to go back a ways, but... In that affair, you did see Sacred Art be able to get the job done 65 to 56 
in that game. Wagner actually won the rebound battle by 11, but Sacred they were able to do a better job of being able to take care of the ball, and I do think that Sacred overall, their offense is a little bit better. I do expect some late game felling in this game to be played a little bit more up-tempo. Both teams were ice cold with their shooting on that day, so it did set my 12, 132 and a half going over, and I'm going to lay the deuce with Sacred Heart, and that will wrap things up before the Wednesday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. A big thanks to Justin Perry over at Chalk Quality Bets for joining me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways to be out for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters here. They mean does not matter. As per usual, please just send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to fire in whatever you'd like here on this podcast via that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day. Love the college basketball season with news. I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for getting us. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the Land of Saints and Sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R.